worries. So normally what I do is I just I just start it off and then uh, we just go from there. Okay. Um, how about let's get let's how about you introduce yourself? Okay. Uh, my name's Clayton. Twenty eight years old. I live in Toronto, Etobicoke specifically. Mm. I'm currently studying commercial aviation. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I study commercial aviation. And I work for a courier company on the side. Mm-hmm. And uh, my major interests include uh, aviation, running, marathon training. Yeah, yeah. And hiking and wine drinking, obviously. Wine drinking? Yeah, I love so wine. So I'm like a super, um, super noob when it comes to, to wine drinking. So anyone that doesn't know, um, me and Clay work together. Do you remember the first time we met? Try to say... I think it was somewhere on the road. It was. <laughs> it was on the road. It was on the road. Uh, uh, so what happened was, I think it was lost. I don't know where. You were lost? Yeah, I felt lost. <laughs> I, was like, I was looking for an address and all of a sudden you stumbled on the way. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we just, we connected there and, you know, it was, we hit it off. Yeah, yeah. Ever since then, every day we see each other. I remember I was like, I had the big truck. Back in the day, remember the 900, like the huge truck. Yeah. yeah. And I was chilling somewhere. It w- it wasn't like the route that I normally do. I was cu- I was floating for someone else. Yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden, you you came up, down. Um, what street was that? It wasn't Kennedy. It was west of Kennedy. Oh, I do remember. It was a rainy day. It was yeah. Super heavy. What is that street? It was like Kendary. Kendary. Yeah. Kendary. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It was Kendary. a small little street. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I remember it was... That was the day, right? Yeah. It was and a super... I was like, super... yo, who is this guy? <laughs> I know. I know. That was funny, man. It was a super rainy day. I don't know. I don't think I was even in a very good mood that day, but when I ran into you, it was like, you know what? It was nice to, like, talk to somebody that mm-hmm. day. I don't even remember what I was really, I don't know, exasperated about. Yeah, yeah. Know? But uh, it was nice just running into you and just talking to you mm-hmm. that day and, like, you know made my day a lot better i would say <laughs> i know and, and you know what um what i really uh, remember was the problem that i have at our company at work is whenever i talk to anyone everyone is kind of like in that older generation yeah so they're sort of like because because you're 28 28 28 so yes. a lot of the guys we work with are like 45 50 55 60s. 60 right yeah so it's like i can never talk to these guys about like any of these side hobbies or interests that I have, like videography or podcasts, yeah. right? Or any of these other things like cryptocurrency. Like there's no way to open a conversation with those yep. with those people, right? Yep. And I was yep. like, so I just I just saw like the day job as something that I was just like, you know, I just go in for the paycheck and it's like, there's no one really day cool. To day. No one really cool to talk to. Yeah, man. Right? And also I'm like, yo, who's this young guy pulling up? <laughs> Out of orchard on Kendary on a rainy day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it, was, it was a very cool coincidence, you mm-hmm. know, and here we are doing this. And uh, yeah, it's really nice to be here. You yeah. Know? So first, first podcast ever. It's my first podcast ever. Yeah. I've never done a podcast. Never before. done. But you listen to a lot of podcasts. I listen to a lot of podcasts. Uh, Joe Rogan being one of them. Mm-hmm. And I listen to a bunch of uh, culinary podcasts on culinary like food yeah food oh okay and like i watch aviation related stuff on youtube so uh well there's this one guy i follow captain joe he flies like a 747 so he's a very cool cat that i follow yeah on youtube wait 747 that's the big the boeing the big air, boeing. The, the, the queen of the skies oh okay. the og jumbo jet so you want to fly one of those 
it would be a cool dream come true yeah the 747 would be nice but mm -hmm. i wonder how much of those would be around them because right now a lot of them are extinct because with a lot of airlines they used to have them like klm being one of them you'll yeah. probably see them out of pearson the big blue yeah the big ones right the blue the ones. ones yeah they don't come here no more they've gone to the scrapyard i know like british airways being another airline they used to have them they they're defunct they used to fly them here also and uh, the only two companies, airlines that I know of, well, three, mm -hmm. Cathay Pacific being one of them, they bring their cargo on here, and Lufthansa and Korean Air. Oh, yeah, Lufthansa, yeah. Yeah, they don't bring their 747s here, but yeah, it'll be very cool. But oh, wow. They're so, uh, they're so original, man. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wait, when did the whole, like, interest in aviation start? Was this something that you always wanted to do as a kid? Like, do you always love planes, or was it something you just discovered? It's a weird path for me because, yes, I, I originally struck up on this interest when I was a young duckling. <laughs> uh, but, no, when I was, I believe when I was six or seven, mm -hmm. my dad would take myself, my brother and my sister to air shows back in the Middle East, in Dubai. Mm -hmm. That's where we grew up. So, uh, ever since then, I would always see these little objects flying and tumbling in the sky like these little fighter jets mm -hmm. i remember seeing the mirage that's like a french fighter jet it was so loud oh wow yeah it was just i was so blown away by it i remember the air show in 2003 they had the airbus beluga and the airbus 340 those were like newer models of the airbus back then mm -hmm. and they would do all these really cool steep turns at like low altitude like you'd be standing by some shakes villa and you'd be watching the air show it's like very cool so that's where it all came for me and uh, okay yeah and then my family moved here i went through high school went to university i actually studied architectural studies yeah at uft i graduated about six years ago now damn bro so it's been a minute it's been a minute <laughs> life <laughs> happens man and after that I didn't really want to go into that field, so I decided, you know what, I can pursue my aviation interests mm -hmm. as a hobby on the side. So uh, around 2018, three yeah. years ago, I started flying in Montreal. I did my completed my private pilot's license there on a single engine, and I'm currently pursuing my commercial license here in uh, Brampton, Caledon. Oh, dang, that's yeah. crazy. Wait, so <clears throat> the architecture, so this is, this is like a scenario that I hear a lot from people. It's like this, they go into university or they go into college, they follow this path for a degree. Yep. And then for whatever reason, they don't have a passion for it anymore. They don't pursue it. So when you, when you went into architecture, was it just something you did because you needed to pick some, pick a study? Partly yes and partly no. At the time, like in grade 12, I was just trying to figure out where I wanted to go. And at the time, I was very interested in, like, mathematics and yeah. drawing and art, you know. So I put those two together, and I figured, why not go into a field where I can use these two subjects for mm -hmm. a living? I see. So I, lo and behold, I went to University of Toronto. Yeah. St. George? or St. George. St. George. Oh, that's a tough school to get into. Yeah, uh, 2011, that's when I started my education there, and I finished my degree in 2015, and after that, I stayed there for two, two and a half years, and I 
did some language studies on the side as mm-hmm. well. Studied some French and Spanish. Oh, wow, man. Jeez. So well-educated. <laughs> I guess you could say that, but uh, I try. <laughs> you know what, though? Like, I hate on our education, our education system a lot. And I'm not someone that kind of believes in the whole go to university to get a degree. Fair enough. I feel like when you're 18, how do you know what you want to do with the rest of your life? There's like, there's no way you're ever going to know. And then on top of that, you're forcing like kids to go into massive student debt. Yeah. 18 to pick a career that you're supposed to do until you're 65. Exactly. So even though I have this like perspective where I'm sort of against it, Mm -hmm. I do respect the people that are able to tough it out and finish the degree. Yeah. Because I went to Ryerson. Right, and your your school rejected me. I applied to UFT. UFT, okay. They, they rejected me because oh, my my grades weren't high enough. Oh, wow. So then I settled for Ryerson. Yeah. But even that, it was so difficult. Yeah. It was so hard. You got to like keep up on your homework and and study and be so disciplined and just you can't like screw around on the weekends. You you have to like really focus, and it's not an easy thing to do, right? And I was like, man, like whoever can finish that whole path and get a degree, like I have a lot of like respect. Yeah. You know what I mean? If, no, for sure. If that makes any sense. No, right? I understand. Yeah. Because you know how it is. It wasn't It wasn't easy finishing it. It wasn't an easy grind for sure. It was very mentally and emotionally, I would even say physical. Did you commute? Physically draining. Yeah, I did. <clears throat> and I, you commuted. I commuted every day. I lived, I still live out in Etobicoke, so it was about an hour every day just to go there and to come back. That's another hour. That's basically. So two, two hours a day. Two hours a day. And sometimes, you know, how the mm-hmm. transit system works in Toronto. <laughs> it could be one and a half or let's say three hours a day. Yeah. Did you, you know? take the GO train or the subway? No, just the train. The, the TTC. GO train? Yeah. Uh, no, no GO train. Just TTC. Oh, TTC. So a subway. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. Like from Kipling or Islington? From Kipling. Kipling. Yeah. Uh, I know Kipling. Kipling Station. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. My grandparents' house was um, maybe five minutes from Kipling. I know that area. Burnthorpe. Okay. Yeah, and I know. East Mall or West Mall or whatever. I am very familiar with that yeah, area yeah, because yeah. I live close to the West Mall in Burnthorpe. Oh, okay, so. Yeah, so you know the area. Yeah, so you got off. on Kipling, went south to St. George. St. George, Spadina, St. George. St. George, yeah. St. George Station. Yeah. It was a great campus, you know. Mm-hmm. There was a lot to explore and do around there. I mean, but uh, the problem was, like, every time after class, you'd feel very drained. You People... Some people will want to like meet up and do stuff together, but I found that in my instance, a lot of people just wanted to part ways and either go home or go mm-hmm. to their second job, Damn. even given any time of the day. So I would say being a student there, like being one in, I guess back then it was 47,000 in undergrad. Yeah. It was, uh, it was hard to make friends there. I, I, if I were being honest, it was very hard to socialize, but I tried my best to volunteer or take part in like communal activities i remember even during like orientation weeks i would be i would volunteer my week as a leader and okay that's cool lead yeah. the fresh, for the new um first year students for the new first year. what do you call that freshman for a uh, frosh week frosh week, right? week right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, okay man that has been so long for me yeah <laughs> that was 2002 2002 2002 okay. was my first year yeah at, uh, at university <clears throat> and i know what you mean because I, I i went into um computer science yeah and like dudes in computer science is like 99 percent guys yeah right I could imagine. and probably 90 percent of that 99 percent are extremely introverted guys 
right? So, <laughs> so no, it's her. like, her, safe to so say trying that. to like talk to, and I'm, I, I consider myself fairly introverted, but I do have a lot of extroverted qualities. Like I'm not afraid to talk to people. I'm not afraid to have a conversation with strangers <laughs> or speak to a camera or go and do spontaneous things in public. Yeah. But like when I was trying to make like friends at first year, it was like brutal trying to talk to anybody. I can you know comprehend. I mean? Yeah. It was hard. It was very hard because like I said before, yeah, nobody, there were people that would want to do stuff and yeah, it's one in a few, but it was, I guess it's a matter of luck or the kind of people you attract. For mm -hmm. me, it was just, maybe I attracted the wrong kind of people. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And like, yeah. it's just like, oh, I gotta go home. I, I remember my first year was crazy because it was the first year that had that thing called the double cohort. Yep. Where I was the very last year that had grade 13 in high school. Mm, okay. So I had grade 13. And then when I graduated, the grade 12s graduated at the same time. Because oh, wow. they discontinued grade 13. Okay. So we had like a double, <clears throat> no, not a double. We had double the amount of kids graduating and applying to universities all the same year. Yeah. So like the class sizes and the amount of people that were accepted were like sort of inflated because mm -hmm. there's just so many of us. Yeah. And it was just like, <clears throat> I just remember all my classes as being so crowded. Yeah. And then Ryerson, they're... I don't know if you're familiar with their campus, but it's sort of like right bes beside the mall. Beside Eden Center. Eden Center, right? Yeah. The mall, right? So yeah. it's beside a mall. And classes, classes are inside movie theaters as well. Yes, that's exactly what that. happened. They ran out of space and we had a class in a Cineplex Odeon. Yep, right across Young and Dundas. I was like, we're, we're having physics class <laughs> in a Cineplex Odeon movie theater. And you know, like in, in a movie theater, you just have those seats that kind of bounce down. Yeah. There's no, there's no desk. No desk. You have a desk. Yeah, right? you have to put stuff on your lap. Right. So how are you taking notes in like a three-hour lecture? Like you're you're bending over like this, and it was horrible. There's no table or nothing. And also, like those seats are comfortable because I would say, whenever I go to a movie and I'm very tired, sometimes I have the habit of dozing off by accident, <laughs> and I'm really really tired. Like my eyes yeah, will yeah, shut yeah, up. Yeah, like yeah. I will shut eye easily. Like. I can only imagine if you're a student that works a job in the evenings after your daytime classes, say from 5 to 12, you come home, you do your assignments or your readings or your homework from 12 to 2, and then from 2 to like 5 or 6, you only get that much sleep. That's four hours. Yeah. And from like 6 <clears throat> to 7, you get ready for school and 7 to 8, you're commuting. And when you're there at 8 o'clock in the morning, you're sitting down. If the seats are so comfortable, you probably want to fall asleep again because you're only on four hours of sleep. Yeah, man. <laughs> no and matter how much coffee too. you drink. Yeah, it's, yeah, that's the thing. I had a big challenge with that, like doing these early morning classes uh, in university. You would be very lackadaisical to pay attention. Oh, okay. You just want to like... <sighs> yeah, you want to doze off. You, you know off. what mistake I made? I never got into drinking coffee until yeah. I was 27 really yeah. took you that long yeah wow and in those days there wasn't any red bull or monster energy like the, yeah. the whole energy drink scene hadn't like come into the mainstream society yeah. yet so that wasn't really a known thing yeah so everyone was just drinking coffee but for whatever reason i never got into coffee and what was bad for me was i had to dr drive from my house to the go train station okay which was give or take 10 minutes mm -hmm. take the go train from brampton to Union Station, wow, which is 45 minutes or so. That's quite a commute. Then from Union 
I have to walk up to Dundas. So that took you about two hours, one shot? Yeah. So that's four hours a day of commuting? Yeah, of commuting. That's crazy, man. And so, like, I would do that. No caffeine, no, no coffee. Sitting in a movie theater learning about kinetics and physics and light rays and all this yeah. slopes and differentiation, all this integrals and stuff. Yeah. Bored out of my mind. And then finally, our class would end at 6 o'clock and I want to go home. I get home by like 8.30, have dinner. It's like 9, take a shower. It's like 9.30. But then I got to get up by 5. Yeah. So there wasn't like any time anywhere to work on my homework or study unless I like studied in the train. Yeah. Or you know what I mean? It yep. was like such a big mistake <clears throat> I think that I made because I wasn't disciplined enough to like study on the weekends. Right. Discipline is one big thing and just dedication. Just mm -hmm. having that fortitude to be willing to accomplish what you want to accomplish. I think that's the drive that really drove me for four <clears throat> years. Yeah. And I think that's necessary because without discipline and the dedication, like it's very hard. You can fall off the wagon easily mm -hmm. in anything in life. But, but yeah, thank God those four years are done. They were yeah, so yeah. draining because it's funny. My friend asked me the other day, he's like, would you want to go back and do these four years again? I was like, hell no. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> never. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. You're, you're very unrested you're working too much with like writing papers you're yeah. constantly just studying don't really have much of a life you know but it pays off you know mm -hmm. it's done and the work is hard too man the work is hard it's not easy no for sure like and the way they structure university where you have to almost teach yourself a lot of the times it's basically very difficult man. it is yeah it's basically learning how to learn mm -hmm. that's what i would say I got from the four years. I mean, to the people out there that want to go to university, I wouldn't discourage them from it. I would say do it, but just don't have any grand, have any grand expectations at the end of it. You know, mm -hmm. just be ready for what life is going to throw at you. You know, I always say to myself, you know, no matter how much we try to plan ahead with our future, there's always something that will change it or something that will yeah. alternate your reality and i'm a big firm believer in god and like i'm a catholic right so okay yeah, yeah. i uh i believe there's always a plan you know for myself and mm -hmm. my loved ones and people around me so i think just at the end of it just be dedicated and have discipline and you shall prosper yeah <laughs> you know what i usually like to tell people is if you have a specific field in mind, some, say something like, <clears throat> say you want to be a doctor or a lawyer where it requires yeah. a certain level of education where you have to say you have to pass the bar or, you know, you got to go to med school or something that, okay, I'm all in favor for going to post-secondary education, like college or university. Yeah. But when you're going just for the sake of going and you're taking like business administration, yeah, that's when I feel like going to university is a huge mistake. Right. Yes. Uh, Do you agree with that or, 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 or no? What do you think? I would agree. But at the same time, that degree is just, it's a piece of paper with a stamp. Kind of says, gives you validation. Mm -hmm. Just, I would say it only puts you above another person per se, you know. Um, but 
compared to like a person with no education whatsoever, mm -hmm. you know, with a degree, it's just a stamp on a piece of paper. But I believe skills can be learned and character is something that you just develop over time with skills, mm -hmm. you know, you mm -hmm. can't, it can't be bought. Like Anthony Bourdain says, you know, it's just something that's unique and with your own skills and character, you know, it's just what attracts you to other people. And, you know, that's how you make connections and connections lead to jobs. Yeah, exactly. And stuff. And, you know, you know, to be fair though, I, I always like to play devil's advocate and think of like both sides of an argument. Like, when I believe strongly in one side of an argument, I always like to try to look at the counter, right? And try to pick apart the holes in my beliefs. Yeah. And I, I understand this idea of do school when you're young. Yep. Because it's so much harder to get back into it when you're older. Like if I were to go to university now at 36 years old, there is no way it would work where I have a mortgage, I have a daughter, I have bills, and all these crazy things I have to take care of. There's no way it's going to work for me to go back to yep. Ryerson, right? For sure. So I understand that point of like, get it done early so later on in life you have that degree for when you need it. And like, I, I get that and that does make sense. But at the same time, if you are 18... And instead of going to university, you can sort of like travel the world yeah. or try working internship or try this hobby or try this skill or go to this country. And you can like get all these different life experiences where you can kind of like become a whole well-rounded human being and try to find a different path in life outside yeah. of the education system. I still think there's like there's value in that as well. There so is. I don't think the argument is, is as black as white, black and white as school is good, school is bad. It's sort of like, it depends on your situation, right? But I hate it when people say like, university is the most important thing in life. You have to go. If you don't go, you're a bum, right? Like that's what I people were telling me yes. when I dropped out, right? They're yep. Like, oh, you're going to be a loser. And it's no, like, well, it's the case. you know, I, I know that I'm going to have to go through a harder path in life, yeah. right? But now I don't have tuition debt i don't have student loan like, i had nothing right? yeah so that was free to go out and just try a whole bunch of things you do your things yeah. right yeah so in, in some ways the path that i took i feel like that is very applicable to some people in the world whereas the path that you took also is very applicable to other people in the world and i feel like both of these paths make sense and there's not just like one specific answer yep. to go through right yeah and this is like this is like the argument that I that I always struggle with when I when I talk to um, people that are well educated, right? Because they only see their way to success as the only way. Yeah. <clears throat> Whereas went to high school, went to university, got a degree, got a full time nine to five. Now I'm happy. This is the only way you can be successful in life. If I may right? count, if I may get into that topic of success, it's funny. I was listening to one of the interviews by the ex-lead singer of Linkin Park, Chester Bennington. Oh, oh he um, who killed sad. himself, right? Or he yeah. committed suicide? Yeah, he sadly oh, passed so away. So sad, man. Yeah, it is. It, it's one of his last interviews <clears throat> that I heard in 2017. He was saying something about success. It's very, it resonates with me very well because I felt this way after going through the hoops of university and even completing my private license, right? He said, like, it was something along along the lines of, like, Success is something like, you know, people think they get like a little card in the mail saying that you're going to be happy for the rest of your life when you're successful. But mm -hmm. in reality, you're not. You know, there's all these hurdles and challenges that come your way. You think 
you have to do certain things to be happy and you will find success and they equate success with happiness that's not the truth you know that's what he said and mm-hmm. like that was a big loud cry of help from I would say yeah, from him. From him, right? From yeah, him, yeah. He was because trying to reach out, right? Yeah, he was trying to reach out and he even said that. Like, the only difference between you and I is that I'm in Lincoln Park, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's not what people think it is. You could be touring millions of arenas, seeing millions of faces, screaming your name, and mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it's just, you know. It's all noise in the background. It's just whatever is there between your skull. You're dealing with that thoughts. And I remember he was saying that, you know, it was a bad place for him to be alone in that skull. And like, yeah, success is in everything. Mm-hmm. I, I can say I can relate what he said because once I was done university, I felt lost a bit. I didn't know. Oh what yeah, to you do. don't know what to do. Didn't know did you apply do. for architecture jobs? Or no? I did apply for some internships, but a lot of them were volunteer internships, and I did apply for a master's program, but I didn't get into it. Oh, you applied for master's? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I got so you it. wanted to keep going. I just said, you know what? Let's let's see if it if it keeps. Holy shit. Yeah, it was another four years. I'm glad it Yay. didn't happen because it would have been something I would have terribly. A master's degree. Wow. Yeah, it would have been something I would have terribly regretted. It's mm-hmm. a lot of time, commitment, and money. Yeah, it's a four-year master's. It's not even a two Four year. years. It's four years. Three and a half, technically. Oh yeah. Gosh. It's in basically like mm-hmm. another undergrad. But yeah, I'm, I'm so glad I didn't get in. Like, Did your parents want you to do that? My parents were supportive. I'm very fortunate that I have supportive folks, friends too. So uh, no, they were just like, try it out. If you get in, you get in. Mm-hmm. If you don't, that's okay. You know, it's not the end of the world. Yeah. Just try something else, you know. And lo and behold, I went from there and here we are, you know. Wow, that's so crazy. Imagine if you had to go another three and a half years. It would be dreadful. For a master. But what does the master's degree actually do, though? Like, what, what does that designation do? It's just an additional designation. Then after, I remember back then I was... I, well, I guess things have changed with the, like, the Ontario Association of Architects. I don't know if it's the same thing mm-hmm. anymore, but they, after your master's, you would have to get licensed as an official licensed architect in Ontario, right? Okay. Yeah. You have to do a set of examinations, even after your master's. Oh, my God. You do more school work. Well, it's <laughs> more, your master's. more self-study, more internship. You think you get a title of master that you don't have to take any more exams. Like, no, <laughs> it's not so it. crazy. It is. It's, it's insane, <laughs> man. That's academia for you, you know. And wow. uh, even people going to their PhDs and stuff, they, they put themselves through a lot of work. And I commend them for that. It's, oh, yeah, for it's, sure. It's tough. I respect people that go through med school. Like if you're a doctor or even like a podiatrist or any whatever, chiropodist, anything with, that has to do with the medical profession... If you made it through all those years of school and university and med school, like I got mad respect for yeah. those people. Yeah, for sure. You know, like that is, like when I think about the amount of work and dedication and sacrifices you have to make to get that type of le- level of education, I, I just can't, I could never see myself doing that, mm-hmm. right? So I'm just like, I have so much respect for those people. Sort of like, kind of like people in like the military, 
You know those jobs where you can never see yourself in their shoes doing that type of job, but it's such a difficult position. Yeah. I always, that always humbles me and it always gives me perspective. And I'm always like, you know, like the cops, especially with the police force, you know, they get a lot of hate, Mm -hmm. right? But I'm like, man, you know, those guys are doing such like a difficult job. Right, I feel like a little bit of the hate is, you know, it's unjustified, right? Yeah. Because I, I could never do see myself doing that job, you know, dealing with people's nonsense and being shot at, or God knows what happens, right? Yeah. So whenever, whenever I see people accomplish things of extreme difficulty, whether in school or, or in the real, real world, you know, it just gives me a level of appreciation where I'm like, man, I know I couldn't do that, so like, mad respect to those to those people right yeah yeah. so that's something that like i've always i've always felt and i've sort of felt more recently because i I kind of in some ways i sort of regret that i don't have post-secondary education right but at the same time in my 30s i have never been so focused on self-education before that's like good. reading books, listening to audiobooks, listening to podcasts, learning new things, trying new things, teaching myself new things. Yeah. Like I never did this in my 20s. Yeah, yeah. Like I didn't I was never obsessed with learning and becoming a better person until I was in my 30s, right? Yeah. And now I'm just like, wow, this is this is like so difficult, but I I wasn't ready for this when I was 18. Yeah. Right? When when I was 18, I, I wasn't ready to make this type of sacrifice. I just wanted to play basketball. Okay. I just wanted to watch the NBA, yeah. play basketball, and play StarCraft all yeah. day long. That's all I wanted to do, video just games and play basketball. Yeah, exactly, right? Yeah. I, I was still a kid. And I feel like a lot of people mature a lot later in life, right? Yeah. You know, some people mature earlier, and they're a lot more responsible. Whereas me, when I was 18, it was still like I was 14. And when yeah. I was 25, it was still like I was 14. You know, that I, when I was 25, that's all. That's all I did. That's all I did. Still played basketball, still played video games, still just wanted to chill and hang out. Yeah, yeah. Right? But it wasn't until later on into my 30s, then I sort of like matured later in life. And I developed this whole new like perspective. I'm just like, wow, man, you know, people are, it's so cool that people can accomplish all these cool things, get these like high levels yeah. of education, right? Well, what was like... I want to say your wake-up call, you know, in that sense. Well, so there was sort of, there was one big wake-up call where I have a really tight group of friends. Yeah. Where we've been friends since like grade one. Yeah. Like, and I'm talking like friendship of 25, 30 30 years. I don't even think I've had friends that long. Like, and this is not just one person. It's like a couple guys. Yeah, yeah. There's like four or five of us. Like we've been tight for years. Wow. Right? Yeah. And all of them pretty much went to university, studied engineering, yeah. got a degree, and all have like well-paying jobs, and they're all well off. Yeah. And then there's Derek, and then there's me, and there's you doing what? Still playing basketball like as when we were sixteen, okay. right? So it's like they all leveled up and evolved. Yeah. When they got into their twenties, where I was stuck in the past. Yeah. And then I was like, man, like what am I doing with my life? Right? I see all my best friends like. You know, getting these cool jobs, make, making money, you know, buying their first homes and do, doing all these like things, right? Yeah. Whereas yeah. I'm still driving my parents' car. I'm still living in my parents' basement. I'm, I'm still like, I need the support of my mom and dad, you know, to get me through life. Yeah. And that was when like the switch kind of started to, the kind idea to started to get created in my mind. But it's still, again, it wasn't until 
I was like 32 Thank you. when I figured out like, you know, I got into like videography and cameras and all this and I developed and I, I was like, oh, I know what my passion in life is now. Yeah. So every day I wake up and I'm like, I'm into cameras, I'm into videography, I'm into creative things, right? Whereas before I wake up, oh, what happened on the Toronto Raptors? You know what I mean? Like yeah, that, that yeah. was my mindset before when I woke up. I was so interested in all the, my hobbies but now yeah. when i wake up i know exactly what i want to do with my life right right but unfortunately because i don't have an education right mm-hmm. i've kind of punished myself throughout the years whereas i'm stuck with a job where i don't make that much money yeah right so it's like um i do regret not going to the university but at the same time if i force myself to finish it would i still be happy would i would i have found this whole videography stuff if i was doing computer science i don't know don't know yeah. right so it's like it's always like that what if what if yeah right so i'm always conflicted you know as what to do next but at the same time you know i, I always like to talk to people that have gone through life in a complete different path than yeah because you can you can reach success from all different angles yeah right it's like it's not this weird one line, one linear way of becoming happy or becoming successful. You can get there from all different paths and directions and you can do all different kinds of things in life, right? Mm-hmm. And I just, I don't know, I, I just want to keep learning more. And For just sure. keep becoming a, like the best person I can be and just learn from other people's perspective. This is why I like this whole podcast stuff. Yeah. Right. I, I like to I like to learn things, right? Yeah. Like this whole podcast is not just entertainment. I, you know, I learn from talking to you. I learn from talking to other guests. And it just sort of like makes me a whole complete human being, if that makes any sense. No, for sure. I don't know. Yeah, I, I can comprehend. Like there's a famous saying by Bono, ambition bites the nails of success. I think it's great that you have all this ambition to just keep going forward regardless of your friends, you know, leveling up. You just see that, man. You're very inspired. And I think anything's possible if you just try Mm -hmm. it, you know. So just never give up and, you know, keep going after the dream. Yeah. You Um, know what was weird, though? I had, like, moments where I was bitter. Yeah. Where I was like, how come my friends are so much smarter than me? How come my friends are so much more successful than me? Right? I had those weird moments where I was like, this isn't fair. Right, but then what? But then it wasn't until later on where I realized, like, oh man, you can't think like that. Like, yeah, that's nonsense. Right? That's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, and I would say going through like a university setting and even with aviation, I don't think smarts helps. Being being an intelligent person helps, but at the same time, you just gotta have the drive. Because if you don't have the drive, you're not really gonna be able to accomplish or finish what you started. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a lot of, like I go back, paraphrase what I said earlier, dedication and like just discipline, you know, yeah. having that, those two things are key, you know, without that, you can't really accomplish much. Yeah. Like if you don't have that goal or clear vision in your mind of what you want to achieve, yeah, like justifying spending 16 hours a day on the weekend studying history or start reading a textbook it's hard to force yourself to do that if you yep. don't have the discipline right and exactly. i never had that discipline no for sure i never had it because yeah. i know i had no clear picture in my mind okay i'm gonna i'm gonna study computer science and then what yeah am i gonna be a programmer am i gonna work for a company i don't know mm-hmm. i just did it because i kind of like computers it was my best grades in high school 
And so there, there was never yeah. a real purpose or reason, right? I didn't know why I was doing it, right? So right. it was like this, almost like a huge waste of time for me. And I feel like there's lots of people that can, can relate to that. But at the same time, they might be in a situation where their parents are forcing them to go. Where you, you know, like, especially, I don't know if this applies to you, but like, my parents were kind of like, you know, like the immigrant parents. They came here from a different country. Yep. They want to make a better life for themselves by working hard. And my dad would work three jobs. I, like, I wouldn't see him most of the time. He's working three jobs all simultaneously so that he can make enough money to provide us with the opportunity to go to university. Yep. Right. So he's working so hard for me to have that opportunity. And then I throw that opportunity in the trash. Yeah. Right. So it's like I, I you know, I felt so horrible for years, like always disappointing my parents but at the same time, I was very fortunate enough to have parents that were very loving and supportive of my decisions that I would make, no matter how crazy they were, right? Eventually, they always would always support me, which, you know, I was very thankful for. But a lot of people don't have that, yeah. right? They don't, they don't have that stable support from a mom and a dad yeah. or from whoever, grandparents or brother or sister. And it almost feels like they're kind of stuck, Whereas yeah. they have no choice, mm -hmm. right? But there, it's, uh, I don't, I don't want to say you do have a choice because I don't know everyone's situation, but it's just such a messy subject to, to tackle, if, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Right? No, for sure. It, it's hard. <laughs> no, I can understand. But uh, at the end of the day, it's like if you're given opportunities, I believe you have to take advantage of it. Like for myself, I took the advantage of pursuing education. Like I worked, I paid for it, half of it at least. My parents also supported me. See that that's that's awesome, man. Yeah, like, it's awesome you have supportive parents, right? Supporting parents, exactly. Like even though I wanted to just pay for it all on my own, my mom and dad were like, you know what? We helped your brother and sister. You know, we're gonna help you as well. Mm -hmm. I was like, you know what? Support is great, so I'll yeah. take it. Parents are your backbone. They're always gonna help you no matter what. Even at 3 a.m., you're struggling all alone in your room. You want to phone somebody, you have your mom. You know, you can always call her. Mm -hmm. She's always going to listen. Yeah, exactly. Right. You know, so I remember going through, like, personal mental turmoils when I lived alone in Montreal while I was going through aviation, like, pursuing my early initial stages of aviation training there. So this is after university? After university. After, okay. After university, yeah. Anytime you need a phone call at 3 a.m., your mom will pick up. So always have to appreciate your your moms and dads out there. Mm. So, so so what did they think about that? Were they pushing you to get a, a job in architecture? No, they weren't really. Uh, they weren't really pushing me in like that direction. They weren't. I wouldn't say they were aggressive parents. They were very supportive. They wanted me to do what I want and pursue whatever I wish. So, no, but, uh, I wanted aviation and they said, you know what, go for the dream, don't stop. Wow, that's awesome. And yeah, I took my dad up on a plane ride about a year and a half ago before COVID. Yeah, he really enjoyed it. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Took, oh, that's cool. It was the first time I ever took my dad up on a, an aircraft. Oh, well, actually any family member. I think the only one, only person who's been with me is my dad and I've taken a couple of friends. Yeah. Outside on on an aircraft and showed oh, them this wow. 
Toronto City. Yeah. You know, from wait, a, so how does that work? Do you have to go to like a college or like how, well, how my, does the aviation school work? Well, uh, my flying club out in Brampton, Caledon, uh, you basically, well, is your question more related towards like how do you start out or like what do you do to do like a flight? Or like, say you want to get into aviation. Yeah. Do you have to like go to school and learn all the theory before you get into the actual plane? No, you learn it simultaneously. So for me, in my instance, I got like the category. Like the first thing I did was I went for a sightseeing flight. Just wanted to see if I really liked it. I really uh, resonated and I enjoyed the surroundings. And I said yes. Yep. Got my class one medical with the aviation examiner. Then after that, I went to a flying club, signed up. Then we did like theoretical classes simultaneously and we did some flying. So what is the requirement in Canada with Transport Canada is that you need 30 hours of instruction, flight instruction with an instructor beside you and you need 15 hours of solo in order to, which is basically you flying on your own in order to get your private license. Mm-hmm. So I fulfilled those requirements and I did my written exams, which is the theoretical part. Oh, I remember you were telling me about that. Yeah. I remember a couple months ago, right? Yeah, yeah. That was for my commercial fees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, with the private license, it's the same thing. You do your theoretical uh, ground school on the side and you do your flying. Once you finish your theoretical ground school, you're prepared. They'll sign you off and your instructor or the chief instructor of the flying club will sign you off. You can go write the written exam if you mm-hmm. pass everything, all four subjects, with I believe it was a 60% for each subject and overall, then you're cleared to do your flight test once you fulfill oh, the requirements wow, and your flight instructor signs you off for your flight test. Yeah. So once you do that, you're officially private licensed. And it's similar to the commercial phase as well. Except with commercial, you just need more hours, mm-hmm. and you need, I think, about forty flight instruction hours. Okay, yeah. That's what I believe. <clears throat> yeah, but with the forty, you could use it towards different aspects of your training, like instrument train, instrument rating, or your multi-engine or whatever. And you do the same thing. You have a written exam, which is what I passed mm-hmm. in early May. Now I'm just gearing up for that flight test portion. So it's getting there, you know. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Wait, so can you just like, you know those drones? Can you fly those drones? (laughs) No. uh, Well, you need a license to fly a drone. I think that weighs... 250 grams or more. Yes. Yeah, you need a license for those. But if it's anything below 250 grams, you don't need a license. But I personally don't have a drone, but I would like to try Uh, one. You have a drone? I have a 249 gram drone. Wow, right on the dot. (laughs) So it's considered a child's toy. A child's toy. Yeah, in the, in the regulations. So you, I don't, I don't need the aviation test. Yeah. I was looking into it because I, I, because part of filmmaking is flying drones. Right? Yeah, it's. A so I bought days. the. This is a super small, tiny drone where you fly with your smartphone. Yeah. It, it the you see on your smartphone what the what the drone sees mm-hmm. and it becomes like a sort of like a controller. Yep. But it's limited to the type of power and quality of video it can create. Yeah. So I was thinking of getting those bigger drones, but it requires the aviation certification. Yeah. For, I don't know what it's called, but it's like, it, it's considered like a 
a vehicle, an airborne vehicle that is not a toy or something. Like, it has this weird distinction. It's a category. Yeah, category, right? So it yeah. requires a certain level of, of, of an aviation test. And I was looking into it yeah. because I don't want to get a fee for flying my drone in the park of me walking around. You know what I mean? No, like, for sure. <laughs> Because yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm using the drone to make like YouTube videos. Yeah, I believe that license is called the R Pass or something. The R Pass. Yeah, R P A S. It stands for something. I honestly I haven't looked into it, mm -hmm. but yeah, there is a license out there for drones. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, man. We can bust out the drone. I'll, I'll uh, let you fly it around. Yeah, we'll check it out after. <laughs> That'll be sweet, man. You know what's weird? We can't fly it near our work because we're too close to the airport. Pearson. I get this like this um warning on my phone like it says you're too close to the toronto pearson airport yeah, yeah. and the drone it will refuse to let the drone lift off the ground right yeah i'm just like dang that's so really cool. yeah it, it, it won't let me because wow you're too close to the flight paths of the, of the planes right yeah yeah so i don't know like like how, how does that work when, when you're flying are you looking at like like the longitude, what do you call it? Longitude and latitude? Yeah. Like what if some, some jackass is just flying a drone? Like how, well, how do you how do you know that it's there? Like, well, what we use is visual flight rules. So Visual flight rules. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's basically short form is VFR. I'm VFR trained. I'm not instrument trained. Meaning, I'll explain the difference and I'll get back to your question. Like VFR and IFR is just like visual flight rules. We have a certain weather minima that we have to follow and we have to be above, we have to be below clouds at least 500 feet, I believe, and about one horizontal mile. This is like in controlled airspace. Wow, that's so crazy. One horizontal mile. Yeah, I don't know how much that is in thousand feet, but... How do this, you determine that? It's all these regulations that... Uh, Transport Canada come up with. They're all oh, good old Transport Canada. <laughs> they're all federally mandated. So it's these are all the regulations that kind of promote safety. But yeah, going back to VFR versus IFR, it's just yeah, visual flight rules. So basically we fly with what we see outside. And IFR is basically flying based on your instruments, following weather minimas and different approaches yeah. into different airports. That's just basically the difference you know whereas in instruments you have like no visual reference to outside oh is there, could is be there like a gps component to this well certain aircrafts have gps yeah you use a lot of a lot of um nav aids meaning radio and we have the uh very high omni frequency range like an indicator vor indicator that's what they call it as a heading indicator and stuff. This instruments in the aircraft that we use for instrument training. And we get the help of the ATC and we follow different headings. Oh, wow. That's for instrument. Mm -hmm. But VFR, it's also we, we use ATC's help and we follow the headings and we use visual navigation. We confirm our landscapes with our maps and whatnot. Do you have like a, a dispatcher in your ear from like those radio control towers or something every time you fly? Yeah, that's the ATC. Those well, are that's the, the ATC. Yeah, those are the guys we oh, talk to. Oh, okay. So you're always in communication with them. We're all in the communication, time. yeah. Either in controlled airspace, in controlled airspace mainly. If we're uncontrolled, we, co we communicate with other aircrafts in the vicinity. Yeah. Or 
Yeah. Did they ask you questions? Like if you had any alcohol to drink or anything? <laughs> no, no, never. never uh, I mean, you're not supposed to drink and fly, right? The general rule is eight hours between bottle to throttle. So eight hours. Eight hours between bottle to throttle. Yeah. Huh. You can't be, uh, or maximum is like 24 hours because you can be heavily intoxicated and fly because when you go at least... 2,000 feet, I believe so, that's the number, you are, the effects of alcohol are three times likely, meaning... Really? Yeah, one drink, I believe, at 2,000 feet is like three drinks at sea level. Because of the altitude? The oxygen levels, yeah, the altitude, the oxygen levels. Oh, and really? Because you have less oxygen up there, right? And you're, so you get lit. Basically, you're more, yeah, if you want to put it in that terms, and you're more susceptible to hypoxia, so. Oh, shit, that's not good. Yeah, that's, this is all a part of our training. They teach us all this in, like, the human factors aspect. So, yeah, no, uh, don't drink and fly. But what if, what if you drink alcohol on, a, like, a regular flight to, like, Hawaii or something? As a passenger? How does that work? Because wouldn't that heighten your alcohol it would. Tolerance because but, you're so high up in the air? Yeah, exactly. But Is that the, why people get crazy on planes? Could be a possible <laughs> explanation as to why, but uh, as long as you're the pilot, you shouldn't be drinking. So. Oh, okay. Passengers, they can do whatever. Well, that's like that Denzel Washington movie. <laughs> right? What's that movie called? Oh, I can't remember, but remember he was drinking? He was an amazing pilot, but he was under the influence. That is so alcohol, unrealistic, right? man. This guy was like sniffing a line before his flight. He was sleeping with some <laughs> flight attendants. It was just very unrealistic. But he was like the craziest pilot of all time. He was like yeah. this amazing pilot. What was right? it called? United 93 or something? I'm going to look it up. Yeah, so yeah. you have the laptop. Yeah, like I remember that movie. It's <laughs> Denzel though, right? I, I know what you're talking about. I just... I saw like the first couple of scenes. I'm like, this is enough. Because <laughs> he had those little bottles of... It was called Flight 2012. Flight, yeah. Flight. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was it. I guess United 93. That was a good movie. Yeah, I like yeah. that movie. I was like, yo, this guy is hammered and he's yeah. doing all these like crazy aerial acrobatics and he saved the plane from crashing and killing everyone but they had to investigate him because he was on they found those little um, bottles of vodka oh shit, in the yeah. garbage you know yeah, those yeah. little small ones yeah that uh, alcoholics carry in their purses and bags <laughs> i see a lot of those man i see oh, a lot that was a good movie it was a classic flight the my favorite one was uh Snakes on a plane. <laughs> oh, dude, that was so troll. That was a Samuel L. Jackson. That was a Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah. That, I love that, that movie scene. is so troll. I know. Oh, the ending God. when I think it was Keenan Wayans, he lands the plane based off of his flight simulator training. Because <laughs> both the pilots are like incapacitated at the point. Oh, this is crazy. That was such a classic. That's so funny. Oh, man. Well, it's hilarious that you understand like like the physics and what's happening in the airspace like that that's so cool like alcohol affects you three times more at altitude yep. than at sea level yep wow because high, uh, like you're getting less oxygen there into your blood right when you're um, high up as compared to sea level because air is more dense here and up there it's less dense and you're less oxygen Basically. Oh, I see. So, so it's, it's less dense. Less dense up there. So. Oh, that's crazy! I so, never knew that. So uh, yeah, that's why you get more 
drunk, if you want to say. <laughs> Does that apply to like all things that intoxicate you? I believe, uh, as far as I know, it's just alcohol. But uh, yeah. with cigarettes, they say like, you know what, people who smoke more are more susceptible to hypoxia as well. Yeah, okay, yeah. I see. Man, cigarettes are just never a good move. No. Like, not once have I ever heard anything good out of cigarettes. You yes. know what I mean? Yeah. Like, the only thing is, like, oh, it takes the edge off when you're stressed at work. But aside from that, it's like, man, all these studies and things you hear from intelligent people about the bad side effects of cigarettes, like, it's just terrible, man. It takes years off your life. It's yeah. Just, right? It's expensive. And it's expensive. I'm too cheap to buy cigarettes. I've yeah. never smoked a cigarette in my life. Me neither. I never tried one. Actually, I tried one once when I was very drunk. With a friend, <laughs> uh, she gave me her like I don't know they they smoke it at like nightclubs and stuff. It's a yeah. very thin cigarette. Accident. Oh, those ones. Yeah, I know those ones. They're, they're they like they call small... it they call it the bitch stick. Bitch stick. stick. Yeah, <laughs> bitch stick. <laughs> they call it a bitch stick. Yeah, I, I accidentally smoked one of those when I was when I was really inebriated at a nightclub once years ago. Yeah, in like early university days, but yeah. That I never really liked it, but I mean, for me, I'll do cigars once in a while. Oh, just, you're a cigar guy? Yeah, just for the pleasure. Oh, uh, okay. I don't. I, I did cigars once, and I was inhaling it like crazy, mm -hmm. and I just got fucked up. Like I was just like sucking it back. Like you're supposed to just not. You're supposed to just breathe the air out, yeah. aren't you? And just for yeah. the flavor. Exactly. I was inhaling it like, oh, no. like marijuana or something. You know what I mean? Like yeah, I don't know yeah, what yeah. I was doing. That's I was good. like, what is this? This is, this is ruining my life. I feel horrible. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm not big on smoking. It's, a, it's an expensive habit. Yeah, it's like the only benefits that I've, that I've heard is that some people have said like when they drink alcohol, it's nice to have a cigarette after. Mm -hmm. And these are coming from like friends who don't smoke. Yeah. But when they drink alcohol, then all of a sudden they'll smoke a cigarette. For whatever reason, that those work hand in hand. And I've also heard people say things like they kind of give you like a little head rush, like a little buzz. So yep. if you need to like be assertive and say you're presenting in front of a group of people, it's good to smoke a cigarette before you go on stage. It kind of like calms the nerves and gives you like a little, a quick little buzz or head rush to kind of wake you up type of thing. Mm -hmm. But aside from that, there's just so many negative health consequences when it comes to cigarette smoke where it's like if it's not cancer if it's not the chemicals or your lungs being destroyed like there's man i just feel so bad for people that are addicted to that habit that yeah can't quit right because it's a very addictive habit it's to addictive get rid of. habit and there's just better means of finding ways of relaxing or getting that edge off you know instead of just you know taking it out on expensive little sticks yeah you know yeah, that yeah. have carcinogens and that are possibly not good for you but i mean i can't really judge anyone else for their choices but it is what yeah but at the same time like adults need to be adults if you want to smoke a cigarette go ahead right? go ahead that's yeah. your choice exactly right you need adults need to be able to make decisions with their life that they want to do and you can't tell people yes or no right mm -hmm. those type of things but at the same time sure man yeah i think I think I never got into cigarettes because I was scared. Yeah. I have like this super um, compulsive, cheers. addictive uh, personality. Cheers, man. Yeah. I have like um, a super compulsive side to me where whenever I try anything, it's it's either 100% or it's zero. 
Yeah. I, I can't just do something for fun. Mm-hmm. So like when, when I would play like video games, for example, I have to play to be the best. Okay. I, I can't just play on a Friday night for a couple hours just to you know chill with the boys and just have a good time. It has to be 14 hour session to get rank one. You know yeah. what I mean? Like it's that I have that, that obsessive compulsive personality. Yeah. Right. And so like I've always been scared of things like cigarettes or heroin or crack or coke, you know, these very destructive drugs like methamphetamines, right? Oh, man. Where the addic- the addiction is real. Yeah. And even things like op- opioids, right? And painkillers and all that type of stuff. And I've been very aware that I have this personality trait of a compulsive obsessive, yeah. right? And so I try to direct it into things that can lead to positive things. So what I've been doing is like, I'll focus on lifting weights and I'll focus on like my whole videography type of stuff. And I just go hard. Like I go like deep, like all the way. But I, there are times where I kind of wish I had more balance. You know what I mean? Like, like I wish I could just enjoy watching a game of basketball. I can't, I can't just watch the game. I got to watch the game. I got to have my laptop open with all the stats. I got to have my phone with bet with a bet on the on the scoring line for the game, I gotta play daily. I gotta do everything. It's just so crazy. Yeah. Right. I just have this crazy mentality as a person, and this is sort of why like I, I became a gambler. I don't know if I ever told you this, but like okay, when I dropped out of <clears throat> university, I became like a professional gambler for wow. eight years. Okay. And FedEx was my first job. Yeah. The job that we work at. When I was twenty seven, that was like my first real job. Really? I remember like when they interviewed me, I had this eight-year window of nothing on my resume. And they're like, what did you do here? I was like, I was a freaking gambler. <laughs> really? That's yeah. what you said? Yeah, man, because I don't know what else to say. I didn't do anything. Yeah. I, I did. I traveled around. I played in the World Series of Poker. I played. The wow. Turn- yeah, all this craziness, right? So like. World Series of <clears> Poker. You, know, you ever watched that on ESPN? I've seen it, yeah. Yeah, so I played it in 2008. So you follow, what's his name, uh. What's his name? Seidel? Dan Seidel? Eric Seidel? Eric Seidel, Eric yeah, Seidel. yeah. I read a book re- recently about poker. About oh, that guy? No, it's not about him. Well, it was actually related to him. It was written by Maria Konnikova. She is a... Tennis player? No, no. She's a... She's got a PhD in psychology from Columbia oh, University. Wow. The book is called The Biggest Bluff. You can Google it. She's a great the writer. The Biggest Bluff? Yeah. The yeah. Biggest Bluff. I believe that's the name, yeah. Oh, Maria Konnikova, The Biggest Bluff. Oh, wow. Yeah, that book. She talks about how she had no experience in poker. She was very interested. And she's a writer, just to get into the background of her, she's a writer for the New York Post, like the columnist. She's a columnist. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's Uh, cool. uh, She just wanted to explore the world of poker, and she teamed up with uh, Seidel. Eric Seidel. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, sorry. Names are a little fuzzy. Yeah, that's, that's, that's all good. Yeah. Poker kind of died down. Yeah. I mean, uh, I actually want to get into it because I, I would love to learn. And I don't know much about it. But, yeah, the, the book is great. You know, basically, uh, it's, all, it's all about skill and chance. That's what she mm-hmm. sums up with. She relates a lot to, like, the economical theory of John von Neumann. Yeah, who, yeah. Who yeah. talks about just skill and chance. And that's basically what poker is it's knowing about how to read people and 
Yeah, going back to skill and chance. Is that what you would have experienced as a poker player? Y- yes, yes and no. It is a game of skill and chance, but in a it's very it, it depends. Okay. So say for example, we were to play a game of poker, me and you, one game, right? One day and one night. Yeah. You probably have just as good a chance to win as I do. It's probably 50-50. Mm-hmm. Right? It's very even. Yep. But if we were to play 10 times, a hundred times, a thousand times, right? Over a longer period of time, the player that's better is always going to win. Yep. And the guy that doesn't has absolutely no chance. Because when you play a game of poker in a short term over a short period of time, the amount of luck that's involved in the game has a huge impact on the game. It's, it's huge, right? Like you can have the, sh- the worst hand and all of a sudden get quote unquote lucky and yep. then win all the money, yep. right? But in the long run, <clears throat> over hundreds and thousands of hands over millions of hands of millions of hours the player that makes a better decision wins all the money like 99 percent of the time mm-hmm. like they just win everything right. it's because that that factor of luck in the long term it slowly gets diminished by a player's skill mm-hmm. and this is why poker it, it, it's so like fascinating and enjoyable to people in like the mainstream because anyone can win Anyone can just join a poker tournament and all of a sudden win a million dollars because yeah. anyone can win. But if that player was to play a hundred tournaments over the course of multiple years, they're going to lose all their money. Yeah, it's because the lose, professionals right? are just so good at the game. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So that that was that was like the thing that's very interesting about poker, whereas everyone just thinks it's a game of luck. Mm-hmm. Whereas where I say in the short term it's a game of luck. But in the long term, it's a 100% game of skill. Yeah. And if you're not as good as your opponent, you're, they're going to win everything from you. It's all about knowing how to read your opponent, right? Yes. Yeah. That, that's that's a big part. And also the mathematical edge of knowing how to play your hand properly and knowing how much to bet, mm-hmm. right? And like, say, for example, you know, like, you know, the suits, right? Yep. Say, say if you got four hearts, mm-hmm. right? And so you have one heart off of a flush. I think the odds are like 36% chance that you're going to make a flush with the next two coming cards, right? Okay. So your opponent, if they know that, they can manipulate their bet sizing so that it's not in favor of that 36% odds. Mm-hmm. So say, for example, we were to flip a coin. Yep. Now, fl- flipping a coin is 50-50. If you were to bet a dollar and I'd bet a dollar, we flip a thousand coins, we're just both going to break even. Yep, yep. No one's going to win any money. Exactly. Right? Yep. But if we flip a thousand coins... And I put in a dollar and you put in a dollar and one cent. Over those million flips, you're going to lose so much money. Wow. Right? Yeah. Because you're, you're, you're putting more out there. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the way to manipulate your bet sizing to force your opponents to make decisions that are mathematically incorrect, that's what's going on. Okay. You're essentially flipping coins, but instead of putting in a dollar, you're forcing your opponent to put in a dollar and ten cents. Mm-hmm. Forcing them to put in a dollar and five cents. So you gain a mathematical advantage over them. But then again, this doesn't pay off until the long run, yep. right? Over multiple thousands of hands. So that's why poker is a very interesting phenomenon because you see regular Joes, you see like an accountant win a million dollars at the World Series of Poker, this guy named Chris Moneymaker. I think Maria might have mentioned her. Mentioned Chris him? Moneymaker? I think so. He started the poker boom. He was an accountant with the last okay. name Moneymaker. Moneymaker. He wow. went to the World Series of Poker as a regular guy. Crazy. He beat all the professionals and he wow. won over a million dollars and the, the world championship. Because think about it. Like in, in poker, you can pay a th- $10,000 and 
and play against the LeBron Jameses, the Michael Jordans of poker. Yep. You can't do that in the NBA. You no. can't do that in the PGA. You can't mm-hmm. do that in the NHL. You can't yep. just show up with Jeez. ten grand. Yep. Sure. You can't just show up with a bunch of money and play the best players in the world. That just doesn't happen, no. right? But in poker, you can. Yeah. Right? And on top of that, you have a chance to beat them. Wow. Like, if you were to play football against Tom Brady or whatever, right? You have no chance to throw the ball as That's good as crazy. him, right? <laughs> but if you were to play Phil Ivey or yeah. Daniel Negreanu or some of these amazing poker players, in one game, you actually have a chance to beat them. Right? And that's what's so appealing about poker is that the regular person has a chance. Mm-hmm. And that's what draws in the masses to these tournaments. Yep. And that's what blew up. That's why it blew up in the mainstream. It was so, it was such a cool phenomenon to see because I was on the sidelines watching. I'm like, yo, what is going on? This so you've been amazing. to Vegas? And you've Multiple seen, times. You've I used to go all? every year. Oh, wow. I used to go every year. That's my goal yeah. for my 30th birthday, just to go there. You want to go to Vegas? Yeah, for my 30th. Where do you want to go? What, uh, what casino? I don't know. Do you man. know? Don't no, not really. MGM Grand, like they have a casino, right? MGM. Yep, MGM is nice. They have the UFC there, I think sometimes. Yeah, I'm a big UFC fan. Oh, so. you're a big UFC guy. Yeah, so I would love to go mm-hmm. there for uh, some gambling and some UFC. <laughs> what do you think of um, Poirier and Connor? Did you watch that? I love that performance. It was man. Great... His his what happened? His ankle snapped or his what snapped? Something in his leg. I believe like he broke his leg. That's oh. what happened. Um, I don't know if it was an ankle snap exactly, but it was like his leg, leg got disfigured pretty badly. It was similar to what Anderson Silva faced and even recently Chris Weidman. Yeah, okay, Chris Weidman. Yeah, he also, snapped happened, his shit too. He, it happened to him. It's funny. Those guys fought each other. <sighs> yeah, years later it happened to him. And that fight, going back to the Chris Weidman fight, that was the first fight in UFC history where an opponent has won without a single strike. Really? Yeah, because no strikes. No strikes. Your Uriah Hall did not trade anything. Like he was just defending, right? Oh, and then Wyman came up and threw that with the kick. kick. And but that he was went a... all out, right? He went all out with the kick, and then he snapped his That's it. his leg yep. or whatever. That was crazy, man. I feel for those guys. They're uh, oh. they really they really grind, and man. and I hope they make it back. I know Anderson Silva did eventually. Like even recently, Silva fought like. Julio Cesar Chavez. Yeah, in boxing. Yeah, forty-six-year-old yeah. yeah, guy. Yeah, I know. And he like, dominated <laughs> Chavez Junior in a boxing match. It was a split, but wow. Yeah. I was forty-six. He just came and won. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not even his territory, but that's impressive. You know, respect to both of those guys. And yeah, yeah. Even like going back to Poirier versus uh, McGregor. That was a great performance. I think the antics after the fight were hilarious. That's so funny. Yeah. The guy was down and he was already promoting the fourth fight. You know, it's crazy. And honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if they put out a fourth fight. I think if... I don't know. I think Poirier should go after the championship. Yeah. I would love to see him fight for that. It would be interesting. But... But where the money is, they'll go after that. So I think, yeah, you, you know, you got to go where the money is too, right? You got to make you make a living, make right? a living, right? Yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised if they go for a fourth fight, and I think the same thing will happen again. Yeah, that's I don't true. think it's going to be any different because at this point they've really figured out each other, and I think Poirier has more of a psychological edge, I would say. Yeah, yeah. and he really knows how Connor trades and what he mm-hmm. does. Because this time around, Connor was a little bit more aggressive at the beginning of the round, but then at the end, like, Poirier got the best of him, you know? 
So uh, it was a 10-8 round too. And I even saw like the judges' scorecards. Like, oh, oh, did you? Yeah, yeah. What they, was, they what put, was Poirier was winning the rounds. They were winning the rounds. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's what they said. And even like from my perspective, I mean, there's a lot of people who could argue against me, but I thought Poirier was doing pretty well. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So no, it was a great fight. I, I, I think that card was great. You know, mm -hmm. I would love to see another one. I think my favorite UFC card of all time is uh, UFC 217, Bisping St. Wow, Pierre. you know, so specific. Because I went there for it. Oh, because you went there. Yeah. Like, how do you know 217? Yeah, it was a crazy <laughs> night. Like, there were three title fights on that card. It was uh, Bisping St. Pierre. It was, uh, what's his, uh, Garbrand versus Dillashaw. Oh, Cody Garbrand, yeah. Yeah, and it was... Uh, Johanna versus uh, Doug Rose. I remember vividly because the night before the card, I was working at the library at U of T. Oh, you were? I were. I was, yeah. And like my friend Abe and myself, we were just debating, you know what? Should we go? Should we go? <laughs> Should we go? Wow. We were talking about it ever since the May, May Mac fight, the Mayweather McGregor fight. Yeah. Like, you know what if Mayweather wins let's go to New York <laughs> that's wow. the bet we had and he won so uh, we did at the end of the day like just like the night before we saw the tickets they were like 105 bucks how, how far up uh, we sat on the chase bridge section which was like a little bridge that hangs over the garden and you have like these little glass barricades in front of you where you can see all the action it's perfect for a knicks game or a rangers game i would recommend it if you wait was this in the garden madison square, madison square garden. garden yeah oh you've been to the garden i've been to the garden oh, three times I've, that's a mecca of basketball I, mecca I of boxing bas like basketball garden. music the pope was there in 1984 i believe yeah. he did a master pope john paul ii but yeah literally the night before we just like we were like you know what? Let's get tickets. They're so cheap. I'm gonna get the airplane B. We take buses. We take the Greyhound. You take the Greyhound. So, yeah, literally at like my shift finished at like 10 o'clock. No, it was like 11. It was 11. Like from St. George Robarts Library. I just literally raced down to the terminal by Bay and Dundas. That's where the Greyhounds were, right? So my friend and I, we met there. We hopped on the bus 12 hours in. We reached wow. New York City, we got to Airbnb, we gallivanted around the city, we ate a lot. <laughs> it was mm. funny. That That's day. amazing. Yeah, man. Like, we... Yeah, we just... We had a very good time and we went and watched the fights. Like, it was a great night of UFC fights. Mm -hmm. Like, that night, there were three champions that came in. All three belts changed hands. Oh, really? It was a great card. See. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're right. They all got defeated. Bisping lost. Bisping lost. lost. And Joanna lost. Yeah, which was... The Joanna one was a crazy one. Like, it was a TKO punches? Yeah. Like, Johanna was uh, betting... Um, she was, like, the favorite. And Tug Rose was the underdog. Like, a big underdog. And, oh, like, really? I remember MSG going silent when she got TKO'd, like... That was it. That was pure silence, man. Like, I couldn't... Really? People wow. couldn't believe it. Because that was the first loss she ever took in MMA. Johanna, right? And like... Oh, that's It was a silent arena, but it was a cool moment to witness. And... The, yeah, the Bisping and St. Pierre fight. That was, oh, so good. It was so good. Yeah, it was a great fight. I mean, so good. both those men put on an awesome fight. 
Like Bisping is, he's tough, man. Tough guy. Yeah, and he's a weight class above George. Like that's not George's normal weight. No, class. no, exactly. He felt he fights welterweight. He fight George's fights welterweight. Yeah, and George's came like four years after his previous. Yeah, fight. he retired. He was like he was temporarily retired. Yeah, he fought what's his Johnny Hendricks, and he relinquished his belt. And yeah, he, he got wrecked though by yeah. Hendricks. He got destroyed. I don't know. It was like, a close fight. He won. But he took so much damage. Yeah, his, his eye was really oh, messed up. Oh, you see the press, yeah, press man. fight conference? GSP had all these welts and swelling and bruises, and Hendricks looked normal, like a normal guy. Yeah, I know. He looked like nothing happened to him. It, it was a great fight. And man. I was like, George won that after looking like that? After that, the fact? I was like, wow. You know what, man? That's just a testament to show you that this guy is a warrior. But Hendricks tested positive. For, uh, like, for like steroids or something after, didn't he? I'm pretty sure he did. He did. Wow. Yeah. I, I don't know. He about, did. I don't know about that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Let me let me look it up. I'm pretty sure he did. I know like Hendricks was having trouble <laughs> making weight and stuff for a couple fights later down his career, but he was on a slump after he lost to Robbie Lawler the second time. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know he beat Robbie Lawler after that fight. Actually, Robbie and him fought for the vacant belt, and I think Hendricks won that belt. Then they had a rematch. Then Robbie Lawler won that fight, but yeah, it's crazy. It was it was a great. Like, was that when Lawler went on that run where he was just like dominating? Yeah, everyone? yeah. Until yeah, he fought. Was, until he fought with his Tyron Woodley. That, that was, was crazy because Robbie Lawler's been in the game since back in the day. It's funny, right? You know, he yeah, he was the guy who fought Nick Diaz, and Nick Diaz and him are going to be rematching this September. Oh really? Yeah, this September. This September. So right. next month. Yeah. Oh. That's like Nick Diaz's first fight since 2015, like six years. Dang, that's that's crazy. a long Nick time. Nick Diaz. Yeah, Nick Diaz. I met him at that um, expo. Oh yeah, in uh, yeah, Toronto. Yeah, I met him at the. Yeah, I lined up. Oh, Nick, that's sweet. The line for Nick Diaz. Sick, take man. a picture and shake his hand. He's super chill. He's like this super chill guy. Diaz brothers, they're badass. Um, so, uh, Nate. Nate too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah Nate yeah. fought Connor. Twice, right? Twice, yeah. The first time he beat him, <clears throat> the second time it was. Uh, the second time Connor barely won, though. It was close, wasn't it? It was. A, I remember it being close. It was a majority, yeah. It was a majority decision. Yeah, it was a back and forth fight. Yeah, it was. It was great, man. Dang. I think both so those crazy. guys put on amazing fights. Yeah. You know. Let's just make sure we're good. Yeah, the battery died. My bad. All right. Um, Bisping, Saint Pierre. Yeah, that was. Uh, that was a historic night. Uh, my friend and I, we were very, very happy. But uh, yeah, it was. We were so glad we went to that fight because I don't think ever since then we've seen anything as historic in terms of fights. Mm -hmm. I mean, there have been some great fights, but like that was it. You know, that was the trip worth going for. To the well, it was huge. It was GSP coming back out of retirement, right? It so. was coming out of retirement and eventually going to retirement again. Oh yeah, he retired was, right after. Yeah, that was his last fight ever in MMA. Or in his career, like his combat sports career, mm -hmm. to did this he, date at least. Did you hear what happened though? He had that colitis issue or something. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was basically like, I don't know. I don't know the nitty gritty of it, but he masked up a lot for that fight. He looked huge. Like even sitting up in the stands, you could say that like he put on muscle real fast. Like mm -hmm. he was huge. Like it looked spectacular. I mean, regardless, you know, he was, he's really hitting Bisping. Yeah. You know, that fight and 
they were trading back and forth. But yeah, it's too bad. But he had a very good career as a combat sports mixed martial artist, you know, if you would say. I mean, but they fought at middleweight. It no, was a middleweight. Mid- but he was normally a welterweight. He was a welterweight. You had to ma- mass up for that fight. Welterweight is 170? Yeah. What's middleweight? Middleweight's 185. Oh, that's a big difference. From what I've seen in the UFC, like with the vlog series and stuff, a lot of these fighters in the middleweight, they're like, they walk at like 200, 225. They cut down to 185. And some of these guys at like welterweight, they're like 200. Jeez. Come down to 170. Yeah, that's 30 pounds, man. Give or take. Losing in each. You got to cut 30 pounds, you know. That's a I, lot. It's tough. I, it's tough work. You know, so I really respect the sport. And that's why I enjoy watching it mm-hmm. as a spectator. I don't really practice or anything, but yeah. I would love to. I have an interest in eventually one day I want to learn jujitsu or take classes. Jiu-jitsu, yeah. Yeah, because like I always have this thought that if, if I ever account, encountered a physical altercation with, with, with a stranger, I have no experience in fighting people. I wouldn't know how to defend myself. I wouldn't know what to do. Right. I, I would feel completely hopeless. Yeah. Right. But with jujitsu, you sort of gain this understanding of that. Even if like a bigger man comes after you, if you know jujitsu, you can kind of subdue them and mm-hmm. submit them and yeah. control them. Right. Exactly. Like I have no interest in like knocking people out. It's not something that I like to do. I sure I like to watch it. Yeah. Right. But I have no interest in like hitting the bag or learning how to kickbox. I don't know. It just doesn't resonate with me. But I would love to learn, like, maybe jujitsu to know that if some big dude ever came after me, I could feel confident in sort of defending myself. Yeah. Right? If that makes any sense. No, no, 100%. But at the same time, you need to commit to that. Yeah. You can't just be like, yeah, I'll do jujitsu classes once a month. Yeah. Like, I'm sure that's not going to work. No, I mean, right? <laughs> well, jujitsu, like, I've taken jujitsu initially before COVID. Oh, you did? How was uh, it? It was fun, but then I just, with work and everything, I just couldn't continue. It was time. It was a matter of, like, schedule, right? Conflicts. So I couldn't really attend the evening classes anymore. Oh, okay. And, yeah. And the day classes were kind of hard to attend because I had flying lessons and stuff, so. Man, you're a busy dude. Yeah. um, But, no, it was fun while I did it. Hopefully, I'd like to go back into it again someday or maybe just back into my tie or... Krav Maga. I've done Krav Maga and some Muay Thai before. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Muay Thai is cool. Muay Thai is fun. I've watched um, Muay Thai fights live in Thailand. Okay. That was crazy. Yeah. I saw, like, about between two eight-year-olds. Oh, wow. And one got knocked out with a leg kick. Oh, yeah. Like, to his temple. Yeah. Like, he got kicked in the side of the head and got knocked out. Like, an eight-year-old child mm-hmm. and i'm sitting there in like the second row because it's so cheap yeah after you convert our currency to the thai bot i think it is yeah and i was like man i can't watch this like i can watch adults beat the shit out of each other but i can't watch little kids do this this is like disheartening right and I was warriors like, this is rough yeah but for them it's just normally part of their culture right it's just yeah. part of being in thailand right and of course, I have to respect that. But I was like, that was there watching it. I was like, oh my gosh. To like, the nail. Dude, this little kid just got TKO'd. Like this little child. That's insane, man. That's <laughs> right? insane. But I don't know. It was, 
it, it was really fun to watch because it's sort of they have this sort of appreciation for the fighters where it's it's ingrained in their way of living mm -hmm. and there's like this weird dance that they do i'm not entirely sure what it means but it's sort of like they play this music and they do this strange dance in the ring mm -hmm. and then they sort of like pay respect to their opponent now, okay. I, don't, I don't really know what that means but it's sort of like this cultural thing and tradition where all the fighters did. Yep. They did this dance. They sort of like bowed to their opponent, paid respect, right? And they, they hugged and dapped each other up and everything. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, you know, this is this is, this is is cool because it's, it's ingrained in the culture and it's something that everyone respects, right? So I really enjoyed that. Yeah. But it wasn't until like when the little kids came out, I was like, oh, oh man. man. I was like, I don't know, man. This is... <laughs> I don't know if I could do this. This is this is rough, right? It's rough, yeah. But this is normal for their way of living, mm -hmm. right? So who am I to judge? Yeah, right. I, it's not my place to judge, right? So I was just trying to enjoy it the best I could, but it <laughs> wasn't easy to watch, man. Oh man, <laughs> for sure. It's so crazy. You take a beating for a living. That's tough, especially when you're an eight-year-old. Yeah, like they're doing, like. Full blown like wheel kicks and high kicks and knees and elbows, and right? they weren't even wearing any sort of protection, were they? No, it was nothing. just full, full just high. They just wore the, the trunks, and yeah. and they wrap their um they wrap their feet with that white like sports tape. Yeah, what is that? That just keeps it tight. Yeah, I guess so. I, don't I know guess what that is. I guess it protects your ankles, maybe. You know. Yeah, like, no. So they they wrap their foot. Yeah, yeah. and I think. I, mean, I can't remember. If, did they wrap their hands? I can't remember. They should. They are. Uh, a lot were, of them I wear think, gloves and stuff. I think they had. Right? Oh man, my memory is so fuzzy because it's been a while. Yeah. You. So when you went to Thailand, did you just visit like Bangkok and all the other cities? Yeah, we did. Uh, we had like an Asian trip. Okay. Asia trip. We went to uh, China, Japan, South Korea, and uh, Thailand. I was sorry. Over like three and a half weeks. Three and a half weeks. Wow. <clears throat> How was uh, South Korea? Because that's a place I would really like to visit. South Korea was very cool. It was, if you're into the whole um, K-pop scene or women's cosmetics, um, that's like really big there. Yeah. Um, or like the gaming scene. Like okay. Starcraft, which was something that resonated with that's me. They're, they're big on that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do enjoy K-pop music every once in a while, um, but I, what was big for me was the food. I love Korean me too. food. I love Korean food. All the bulgogi, bulgogi um, and the kamjitang, yep. the pork bone soup, mm -hmm. and the, um, the japchae, the yep. noodles, the sweet potato noodles oh, with man. the mushrooms. And, so oh, hungry, just, yeah. Their food is so good. Yeah. And that, that was the best part for me of, of South Korea is just experiencing like, the authentic food. And even like the Korean fried chicken. Yeah. You can get Korean fried chicken here in Etobicoke in the Korea town down by Dundas and... Um, Islington? Something, no, it's more west. It's closer to Mississauga. But whatever. There's, you can get Korean fried chicken here. Okay. But there, I tried it. They throw the whole chicken in the deep fryer. You get like the head. You get like the, the full chicken. Oh, wow. I had like a piece. It was like this long tube. I was like, what is this? Do they coat it in ramen and they fry it or... Because I've um, tried that. That's delicious. The, the place I went to, no. But I've done the place where they had, like, noodles with the ramen and the cheese oh. and all that. Oh, it's just... Dude, Korean food is so good. Yeah. 
Especially if you're a person that enjoys spicy food. Mm-hmm. Right? You, you like spicy I food, I like spice, right? man, yeah. Wait, what's your background? I'm Indian. Uh, from the South, Kerala. South Indian? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. So you're into like the whole curries and spicy curries. And I eat those, yeah, yeah. So spice for you is no problem. No problem, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Korean food is, is great because there's like that really spicy flavor yeah. that you get out of the food, right? But some people don't like that type of stuff, right? No, for sure. Spice is in some people's cup of tea. But for me, yeah, I love that food. Yeah. Korean food is the best. That's like uh, my wife, Tina. She's kind of no on the spice. Yeah. But for me, I got to have it with every meal. Or else I feel like the food is bland. Yeah. I mean, I could say yes and no. Because sometimes you can't really have spice. Because like when I eat like French cuisine, you can't really throw anything spicy in there. Oh, yeah, that's true. I guess it depends on the dish too, right? You know, yeah. It depends, yeah. Like beef bourguignon. Beef burgundy in English. That's right. like beef burgundy. Yeah, it's a it's a great dish. <laughs> beef burgundy. Yeah, Borigno. It's a great dish. Like I made it once, well twice, actually for my mom on Mother's Day. Yeah, that's a dish you don't really want any spice in it. It's basically like tenderloin beef cooked in like slow cooked in like red wine, some brandy. I added bay leaves, carrots, some oh, wow. onions. Potatoes. So you're, you're seriously into cooking then? I enjoy cooking. I like exploring different restaurants within the city and reading cookbooks and watching Chef's Table on Netflix and mm. any of Anthony Bourdain's Parts Unknown series. Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember you told me you're big on Bourdain. Yeah. Well, so sad about that guy, you know? Yeah, it, it is very, very unfortunate. This guy was such a great character and the world was always a better place with his voice and... You know, just his wit. You know, I, I, I yeah. really I really watch his shows to live, to kind of reminisce his memory on this planet. You know, he was a great guy. Yeah. Like, uh, I remember he did a special on uh, Montreal, I believe. It was Montreal and Quebec. Well, it, it was a restaurant called Joe Beef. Which oh, yeah, Joe Beef. Yeah, I know Joe Beef. I'm yeah. going to get into it. Uh, because, like, because of him, I visited that restaurant last weekend in Montreal. I went there with a friend of mine over the last weekend. Yeah, it was it was a great restaurant. Uh, it's a little place located in uh, Le Petit Bourgogne, Low Burgundy. Whoa, friend, that accent, bro. <laughs> it's spot not, on. <laughs> it's, it's not that great. Uh, I'm still trying to work on it. But, uh, no, it's a great restaurant. It was opened up by... Uh, Alison Cunningham, Fred Moran, and what's his other name? There's three of them. David McMillan. Okay. Yeah. They uh, they opened it up in 2005 in a spot on Rue Notre Dame West, which was formerly owned by Cafe Miguel. Apparently, the owner of that cafe was a troll. <laughs> a troll? Like an internet troll? No, like a troll, like to the people. That's what, oh, the, that's what like, the the legend is. That's what I read from. Oh, so he's like a dick. <laughs> he was. Wow. And uh, I think eventually, due to his misfortune, it became uh, their luck. Uh, and they bought the spot. And ever since 2005, Joby was an inception over there. And it's been ravishing some great reviews. Personally, for me, like when I visited, I liked the ambiance. The people, the staff was very hospitable. 
And the food was great, but I would say it is extraneously overpriced if I were being honest. Oh yeah? It's yeah. really expensive? Yeah, if I'm being really honest. But it's worth the experience. Yeah. Well, the things I didn't like about it was uh, we ordered this main dish. It's called the pan-seared duck. It was cooked in like hand-picked. Pan-seared? Yeah, it was pan-seared. Pan-seared, okay. Duck. Yeah, pan-seared duck. For me, I didn't expect the duck to be cooked as rare. It was quite rare for me. And like, even if he wanted the kitchen to do it more well done, like the outer part of the duck was very well charred already. If he would have asked him to cook it more, it would have been more well done. It would have been like rubber. So oh. I don't know. It was, it didn't really speak to me, but they had another dish called the demi poulet avec champignon and mm, like sweet corn. It was like basically half chicken with hand-picked mushrooms from the forests of Quebec and sweet corn. Uh, maïs du, which is sweet corn. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that was a great dish. That was like one of the best mains they had. And would I go back there for that one? Yes, I would. Oh, <laughs> you would go back for that? I would go back there for but the not main. the duck. Not the duck, no. <laughs> but uh, yeah, even like... They had these thing called the shockettes. It's like these little mini croquettes with smoked eel. It was quite delicious. But uh, at one point, before even ordering those uh, appetizers, like the server, she came up to us and she asked, she asked me, oh, "Would you like one of those with a bit of caviar?" And I've never tried caviar before. This was the first time oh, I tried it. Are. So uh, I got some with caviar, and like each of those shockettes were like. Nine dollars and fifty cents, but as soon as they add like not even a teaspoon of caviar, it's like thirty dollars just for one. Oh, yeah. Dang. If I were being honest about the bill, it was, for two of us, it was like <laughs> two hundred thirty-three bucks. Holy shit! Yeah, but it's the experience though too. It right? was a great experience. I mean, like, who can say they've been to Joe Beef? And not only that, like, I lucked out on getting us a table there because that night, July the thirty-first, there were eight hundred people in the waiting list for reservations and 800 800 and for one night yeah what and That's like crazy. i was lucky i just got one of the spots that was left like as soon as i got uh, an email notification from, from resi that's where you make the reservations online i just went right on it i was at work at the time i was driving i was like oh email notification from resi joe beef might have opened up a spot i pulled to the side of the road book my wow. spot and we got it you know it was great it was uh yeah that that restaurant is a great restaurant you know it's it's worth visiting and that neighborhood the uh, little burgundy it was formerly very industrialized it's uh, home to the canadian uh, railway okay yeah. yeah yeah a lot of the tracks are there and it's right beside the lachine canal it's a great neighborhood very hip and very as they say in french bon vivant like they love to live there they're Damn. having a good time and uh yeah but it was a great visit and like those are some things that I miss about my time when I was living there, you know, like things like that and those Wait, when, when when did you live there? What year? 2018-2019. For a year. For two years almost. Two years. Yeah. But you were studying the aviation stuff. Yeah, I was studying and I worked there oh, as well. Okay. So uh Wait, no, but then um can you speak French? A little bit because I took it in university. Oh okay. I'm not as fluent fluent as I'd like to be but I'm working on it it's a it's a work in progress mm -hmm. can you understand like when locals speak 
Can you understand what they're saying? Or? Yes and no. Uh, it depends on how fast they speak. Sometimes some of them speak very oh, fast. Oh, too be fast. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. Just yeah. slow down. You yeah, know, yeah, I have yeah. to listen to it twice. And <clears throat> I would have to, yeah, ask them and reiterate their phrases. And yeah, I mean, I there are some things I miss about living there, but some things are better here too. You know, pros and cons to both places. Yeah, that's true. Like yeah. you experience like the French Canadian culture, which is probably really nice, right? It's cool. Yeah, for sure. Like, uh, no, for them, they, I would say between here and there, especially post pandemic well, right now, from what I see is, <clears throat> it's just my experience. I'm not speaking for everybody else, but like I see people really happier there than they are here. Happier in Montreal than Toronto. Yeah. People are just uh -huh. happy to be out. You know, they don't seem frustrated. They're just all about having a good time, you know. Whereas here I've seen, like, there are some good people. There are good people here too. I mean, I don't want to give anyone a bad name or anything. But, like, I would say people are more frustrated here. Yeah, you know, people in Toronto are kind of, like, sick of the whole pandemic stuff, right? They kind yeah. of just want to go back to normal. Yeah, like, It's yeah. been, what, how long? Almost, Almost two, two years. years. Yeah, Almost it's two crazy years now, right? Yeah. Of all this lockdown stuff and kids can't go to school and work from home and work quarantine. Home. Yeah. And like stay home, stay at home orders. Like, yeah. It's um like I get it, man. Like at a certain point, like people just want to live their lives. Yeah. Right. You just yeah. kind of just want to live. Like in the beginning, okay, quarantine. You know, there's a pandemic. There's a virus. You want to be responsible. You know, you want to make a good decision. Like I. Of course, people get that. Yeah. But when it's two years later and the government's still telling you to lock down and people are just fed up, like, I totally understand. 100%. Right? Especially parents, too, that have kids. That they need their kids to go back to school. Yeah. Because it, you can't afford to pay for a babysitter mm -hmm. while you're at work. That, you exactly. know, that's so expensive. Yeah. Right? That's part of the reason why, like, I, I only work part-time so I can take care of my daughter in the morning. Because I can't afford to pay someone to watch her while both me and it's my expensive. wife are at work. Daycare yeah. is expensive here. There's no way, man. It, it just doesn't work, so. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, it's like, what do you do? I don't have the answers. I don't yeah. know what, what we should do. Yeah. I'm not, and I'm sure our government, they're just trying to do the best that they can, right? They have, probably have no idea what to do next right yeah, yeah there's yeah. all these like variants and delta variants and people that refuse vaccines and people that get vaccines and it's just like the whole thing's a complete disaster it is yeah. right and it's like it doesn't matter what the government does or what they say they're never going to please everybody no for sure right there's always going to be an outlier or someone that doesn't agree yeah and it's just like a it's a murky situation that we're, unfortunately we're kind of just stuck in Right? Mm -hmm. And then what can you do? All you can do is make the best possible decision you can for yourself. Yeah. And, you know, as a parent, fortunately enough for me, you know, my daughter is still too young to go to school, so I don't have to deal with all that type of stuff. But yeah. what what if what if you're a person that has, like, you know, a well-paying corporate 9-to-5 job, but you need your daughter to go back to school? Yeah. Right. To kind of pursue your career because your your career and your and your income supports your family. It pays for your mortgage. It puts food on the table for your children. Mm -hmm. It pays for the extracurricular activities and their and their clothes and stuff. Like, what are those people going to do if you say, "Oh no, schools are closed"? They're they're going to be outraged, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's like, man, like I I understand the frustration that people have in Toronto. You know, like I get it. I I completely I completely get it.
Yeah. But it's like, I don't know who has the answers, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Nobody has the answers out there. It's it's tough, man. It mm-hmm. is. I feel, I feel like it's something we have to learn as we kind of go along. Yeah. Especially the variant stuff. But you know what I'm very concerned for is when winter comes back around. Yeah, that's the thing. Right? You know, for me, it's, it's the same concern because for like what I know, it's like in the winter time you have less sunlight. Your immune system is a lot weaker because of that lack of sun as well a lot of factors you know but if your immune system is weaker you're more susceptible to getting a cold or a cough or yeah whatever you know you can see numbers booming again and i don't know for me personally i don't think the answer is shutting down or doing whatever they did previously because that just puts a lot of the private business owners like restaurant owners in a hole you know because they've worked so hard to keep themselves up and mm-hmm. it sucks you know and i hope they stay open you know God you, you gotta let those people make a living you gotta man if you force those small restaurant and business owners to close you the gut you, you gotta give them money you gotta give do something you can't just let them hang out to dry yeah like i talked to a guy at our work like in all honesty he was probably 70 like a 70 year old dude and yeah. he was like a new um d3 driver so yeah. one of those drivers that kind of um sign up as sort of like an uber driver type of deal yeah where they can kind of work where they want and he told me that he w- he had a restaurant for like 35 years yeah and he was forced to close it oh, wow. because so it wasn't deemed an essential service oh my god right so then he came to fedex to deliver some boxes so that he can get money to continue to pay for his mortgage or whatever. That is so sad. Because the government said, you can't open your restaurant. So this guy, who's probably like six, late 60s, early 70s, full head of white hair, yeah. is working with us, delivering boxes because he has no other choice in life. Just That's because the tough. government determined, determined his business was not essential. Yeah, it's just right. So then, so then I feel so bad for people like that. Like that guy probably worked hard his entire life. Yeah. Right. W- worked hard, put in the hours, slaving away in the kitchen, built like a business with yeah. his family, yeah. right, serving food to the people of yeah. the city, and then boom, the government tells you you have to close. Exactly. Yeah. So like, what is he supposed to do, right? And so, I was just like thinking, like, man, it, it's hard because all all these things they don't affect me. Because fortunately for me and you, we we work at a company where our work is deemed an essential service. Yeah. So throughout the pandemic, we were able to keep working. We are able to keep making money and keep having income to pay our bills. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't care about the people that aren't in our situation, right? Mm-hmm. Like what about all these other people out there that are like service staff that worked at a bar? Or yeah. they, you know what I mean? Or worked at a restaurant as like a server or a waiter. You know those people that you meet that have been like, They've been dining tables for 30 years. Yep. They've been living Long off time. tips. Yep. Like, what are they supposed to do? Yeah, right? that's the it's thing. Like, <clears throat> it's, very, it's very hard, and I, and I feel for those people. Because if I was in their situation, and someone was telling me, I can't work to make a living in order to feed and support my family, I'd go crazy. Yeah. Right? I would just, like, lose my mind. So... If we go back into that situation where the government kind of says everything has to close, only essential services like 
Like, you, you better be throwing out a lifeline to those people. Like, because this is, it's so crazy that people can't make a living, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, I, don't, I don't know what else we can do. Like, it's so, it's so depressing, man. It is, it is. It's so sad, right? It's just, it was tough, you know, last winter. It's just like, you go to work and you go home. You can't even go out, see your friends or socialize or do anything. Yeah. It was very depressing. Yeah, and even that conversation I had with that old guy, he was saying like, oh yeah, it's a long day for me, put in 10 hours. I was like, oh dang, that's a long day for you, man. You know, I haven't seen you around. Are you new here? And then he kind of like opened up and told me his story. Yeah, yeah. I was like, holy shit, you got a 70 year old guy out there like for like nine hours delivering boxes. Wow, Godspeed. I'm just like, oh man, I wish, like, can we find a way to let that guy open up his restaurant? Yeah, yeah. Like if he has an outdoor patio or people wear masks or whatever. Right? Or just takeout service. <clears throat> yeah, or takeout or something, right? Yeah, yeah. But that's not dumb. essential. You're not essential, right? Yeah, that's that's crazy, man. I don't know. God forbid anything happens this time <clears throat> around. I, I just hope they stay the way they are. You know, I don't want anything to close again. <laughs> yeah, it's because be frustrating. At the same time, you you want to respect the people that have lost loved ones to COVID too, right? Yeah, yeah. Because <clears throat> there's a lot of people that are like, man, this COVID disease is so serious. You know, I lost a father, I lost a mother. You know, and all you people out there that don't take this seriously are a disgrace because we're losing loved ones. Like, you know, I get I get that perspective too as well. Yeah, there are people out there that are just very crazy. I don't know if you've been to like downtown recently. Well, not not like recently. Like the core. Yeah, like I would say maybe three, four months ago, you would probably see like these people protesting for freedom. <laughs> those anti-maskers, oh, these anti-vaxxers, it's something else. Yeah, you know, you know what? Because I don't have any education on the subject of that type of stuff, I don't know what to think. Yeah. You know, I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I, like, I don't know what to think about masks. Like I wear it to try to not be an asshole. Yeah. Right? If comp- If... If businesses say a mask is required to come in, you know, I'm going to try to my best to be as good of a human being as I can. Yep. I try to wear my, my mask. If it, if it makes other people feel better, then I'm all for it, right? Yeah, yeah. But again, I don't know the science behind it. I don't know if it's it's real or if it even helps. But, like, if it makes other people feel better... Then do it. Then I'm, you know, I'm all for it. I'll do yeah. it. You know, I'll do my part, right? But it's like... You know, some people don't feel like that, right? They just... Yeah. They think their fri- they their freedoms are being infringed upon. They, right? Exactly. They feel like they're being <clears throat> controlled. That's exactly. But at the same time, those people have a point too, yeah. right? Like, what if, like hypothetically speaking, what if the mask does nothing, right? Then then what are we doing all this for? Like, what if, regardless of how many masks you wear, how much you socially distance, like the virus is just still going to spread, right? So then maybe those people do have a point. Yeah, yeah. But then again, at the same time, how do you determine that's true? How do you verify that? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I have no idea. I'm an idiot. Yeah, I don't <laughs> yeah, know any, exactly. about any of this stuff, right? Yeah. So, so at the same time, it's like, I try to respect other people's opinions, but I kind of don't have an opinion on this because, or I don't have an opinion that I strongly believe because I'm not educated enough on this subject. You know, yeah. I don't know anything about medicine. I don't, I don't know anything about meta viruses or viral loads or, or the, the safety of masks or vaccines. So I'm just like, you know, I feel kind of lost and I just try to make the best decision that, you know, that I can. I try to like, you know, make a decision 
that is beneficial for the group as a whole, right? Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. You know what's weird though? Like when I talked to my doctor, <clears throat> my doctor was saying, you know, it's probably not safe for you to get the vaccine because of my allergies. I have like severe allergies to like cashews, pistachios. Oh, really? Some fish, like wheat, breads. Yeah. Like really, but, but like really bad allergies, right? Mm -hmm. And because of that, I haven't been able to take the flu shot my entire life because I'm a, I've been allergic to the proteins. Mm -hmm. So the doctor's like, well, we don't know how your body would react to the vaccine. Yeah. So, well, right there, I'm just like, well, shit, what do I do? Yeah. Right? Do I take it for the greater good? Do I believe in the science that I don't know anything about? Do I just hope for the best? Mm -hmm. But what if it, like, screws me up? Yeah, yeah. What if it, like, ruins my life or something? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Right? It, it's so difficult to make a good decision now. Yeah. And I feel like there's just so much information and so many different options and perspectives that you need to weigh. Yeah. That... In all honesty, I have no idea what to do. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what to do. Right? Do I get do I get a vaccine? Do I get a second dose? What I actually did, I end up getting both, both doses, doses, right? And, and I, you were fine. And I was fine. Yeah. Right. So in hindsight, it, it ended up being okay. But my but my mindset was, you know, like for the greater good, you know, I'll do it. I don't know any better. I'm generally a fairly healthy person. I, yeah. you know, I, I exercise regularly. I sleep good. I eat good. Mm -hmm. I don't eat like McDonald's and bullshit food all the time. Exactly. So I'm like, okay, my immune system is pretty strong. You know, I'm fairly young-ish. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Oh, you are. So I think I should be okay. Yeah. Right? And I took the vaccines and nothing happened to me. So I'm like, all right. Oh, God forbid, man. But now what? But yeah. now what do I do? Like, yeah. what, what do I do to better society as a whole i have no idea like i have no idea well, what to do right keep delivering podcasts <laughs> no. just keep doing podcasts right keep doing podcasts i don't know man it's 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 sad because even though like this stuff doesn't affect me on a personal level like i feel for people man yeah no i feel for people out there who can't make a living who can't pay their bills and, and can't pay 100 yeah because like what what are they supposed to do yeah Right? If you have a restaurant and the government says you're not a, an essential service, what do you do? Right? You don't have it. You don't have like a side hustle yeah, man. on Instagram, right? <laughs> Showing like pictures of your food. Those guys probably just, you know, been slaving away in the kitchen making, you know, linguine and clams and spaghetti and meatballs and those whatever, those Italian restaurants. That guy I talked to, he was Italian. Okay. Yeah, he had an Italian restaurant, right? Oh, so, wow. No, it's know, a, man. even like speaking of Italian restaurants, like I remember before pandemic there was this one restaurant called Vesuvios it's uh close to I believe it was close to Dundas and Pacific it was like around the junction area Toronto Vesuvios yeah they made amazing pizza it was like one of the best pizzas I've ever eaten I can't remember when I think he the owner I don't remember his name but I think he opened up that place in like around the 1960s Oh wow! It was an old restaurant. It was there. It's been there for many years. It's it's been a staple of that neighborhood. Is in Toronto? Yeah, Vesuvios. Vesuvios. Not the one in Brampton. I know. Yeah, so the one came up right away. It said Brampton. No, not that <laughs> one. This is the one in Toronto. Oh, Dundas. Yeah, that one. Three thirty ten Dundas Street West. That, that one. one. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. It was great, man. Like one thousand Google reviews. Holy shit! Yeah, it was one of the best restaurants ever. Like the the sauce was just. Sauce on the pizza was just like a family oh, secret. Dude, it says permanently closed. Yeah, they closed last year. I'm going to get to that story. It's just like, 
Yeah, they had the best pizza ever, man. Like, I'm so sad that place is gone. Yeah, I think the owner decided to uh, close so it down sad. because the lease was about to come up. And, yeah, you know, with the pandemic and everything, the business was just going to... This is of, it, right? Vesuvio Pizzeria and Spaghetti House? Yep, that's the one. That's the one. Oh, it's so sad, dude. Yeah, permanently closed. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that place. Yeah, 63 years. That's what he says. It says right there. It's been there for 63 years. Oh, wow. Toronto Pizzeria Vesuvio permanently closed. Vesuvio permanently permanently closes after 63 years. Yep. Sorry, I can't talk. Again. Like a <laughs> it's all right. I'm getting drunk over here. <laughs> it's the alcohol. But, uh, yeah, I remember the last day I went there. And I waited in line for like four hours, right on Pacific Avenue. Four hours? Yeah, I think it was like... Outside? Like, yeah, that was a long line. <laughs> going all the way, I think, from Pacific to, I think, Quebec Avenue. Like, the back street of Quebec Avenue. Somewhere there, yeah. I'm trying to remember exactly. But, yeah, it was a long line up and like... Yeah, I waited for four hours. And uh, it was nice. Across the restaurant, there was like a little DJ... He lived in like that apartment above the store. Okay, yeah. Uh, he he was DJing and he was playing some music. And it was a cool feeling because people were celebrating the end of an era and they were dancing and they were singing. I remember this one point vividly. He played uh, "I Will Survive," the song. I will survive. Oh, uh, the old the old school one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh my, yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, I, know I remember the whole lines just started going crazy for that song and. I was like, yeah, this uh, feels very melancholic, if that's the word I want to put. <laughs> but uh, no, I waited in line for four hours that day. I got the best pizza, the best spaghetti carbonara that I've ever tasted, and I won't ever get it again. It's so sad, but it was worth the wait. Uh, those are little moments that just makes me cherish these little businesses and appreciate it, you know? So Yeah. Like, I tried to visit my favorite restaurants yeah. um, during the pandemic as much as I could. Yeah. And I tried to leave, like, even even though, like, financially, like, we're still struggling as well. I tried to leave the best possible tip I could. And I just bought takeout. Yeah. You know, because I was like, man, if these restaurants were to close, I'd be so sad. Because I have a couple of spots close to here that are, like, really good like really good food and, I, and I, me and my wife love going there yeah yeah and so during the pandemic they had takeout only so i was like man i gotta support these places because these are restaurants that i believe in these are restaurants that i love to go yeah. to and they serve great food and so i tried to just go there and you know buy whatever i would normally buy but then leave try to leave a good tip good tip yeah, yeah. but then when i would go there it's like a ghost town there's no one there it's sad. It's it's like heartbreaking, right? And it it's is. Like, it is. Man, like if these places all close, then like what am I doing? I gotta go to McDonald's at Walmart to get dinner. Like like what are my options it's here? Tough, if all yeah. the local spots close, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like you want to support those type of places, right? Of course. And um, it's it's tough, man. It's it's really sad. So it's just like I don't know what I don't know what else to do because also those those restaurants were like vietnamese restaurants mm -hmm. and these are like vietnamese foods that like i have no idea how to make i can never make like vietnamese food like, yeah you know what i mean like yeah. like stuff that you can't make at home exactly like you want to kind of go out and you, and you would buy it right yeah of course, so of course you want to support them of course but 
oh, it was so it was so depressing. I could only imagine. Right. Yeah, yeah. Of, I don't know. I'm I'm grateful. Like there was some like actually a lot of places that I like closed. I remember one of them being the Black Hoof, but I think that closed a while back. Um, North Forty Four that used to be on Young and Eglinton. It's owned by Chef Mark McEwen. He owns like for Was that a restaurant? It's a restaurant. They closed like way before COVID. I think in twenty eighteen, July. Oh, uh, before COVID. Yeah, yeah. But gentrification, you know, gentrification. Oh, really? And yeah, they were. I think the lease was up for that restaurant, and I think they are putting like condos there. So gentrification all over Toronto. Oh, that's it's, another problem in the yeah, city. Yeah, it's kind of erasing a lot of character, but. No, that was one of my favorite places. But right now, there is one place that I really like. It's on Bayview in Eglinton. It's called Dharna Middle Eastern Kitchen. They're pretty good, too. Ooh, Middle Eastern food? Yeah, yeah. Ooh. What's it called? Dharna. D-A-R-N-A. Dharna Middle... Eastern. Mid Middle Eastern Kitchen. Man, I can't spell right now. <laughs> it's the alcohol. <laughs> Dude, I, I do not do well on wine. I do not drink wine. Really? What's the percentage of this? It's wrecking me. 13.5. Oh, Jesus. It's not even much, man. No, but I'm a lightweight. Really? Yeah, I'm extreme lightweight. Oh, okay. Like two shots, I'm feeling good. Really? <laughs> yeah, I'm one of those guys. Yeah. This is almost done. I'm going to yeah, top it off. It, man. Oh, here. Darna, DarnaToronto.ca. That's the one, yeah. It's a great resto, man. I recommend Middle it. Middle Eastern Kitchen. Oh, wow. What is this? It looks cool. Yeah, it's like a touch of uh, Lebanese and Iraqi, Palestinian, with Israel. It's like that area. Oh, okay. You know, they, they bring all the cuisines together. Very similar. But good food. I would recommend it. See, this, this is like one, go there tonight. This is one thing that like kind of brings people together is, is, is food. Yeah. And different ethnic and different types of cuisine, right? Yeah. And it's like... I feel like this is so important for like society and even for people's mental health, you know, yeah. to like go out to a restaurant with family and friends and have a good time and have a good meal. Right. And, and like explore maybe a type of culture of food that you never would be accustomed to. Right. Yeah. Like these are like, th these are the things that make life great. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Like, man, but like, I feel so bad if all these people are forced to like close up shop and that is exactly why with your reasoning i think that is exactly why they should make it essential you know this way people can actually like go out in limited numbers and just stay there and enjoy you know like, yeah rather than being indoors it's but even, even the even the restaurant business is a hard business to be in yeah because uh, my dad he was a chef okay so he's been through that whole process where at minimum you got to charge triple the price um, for the food that you buy in order to sell it to sort of even just break even or make a profit. Mm -hmm. So like triple. Triple, yeah. You, you got to triple the price. That's how small the profit margins are in the food industry. I can and, imagine. And he always told me like, don't get into the food industry as, as a profession. It's so competitive. It's so difficult. It's so hard, and this is why so many restaurants and small businesses go under. Yeah. Right? This is not an easy profession. No, it's not. It's not like selling coffee, mm -hmm. where you're making like 300% profit on a small cup of coffee, right? Like this, and this is not the type of profit margins that you're dealing with. Yeah. You're dealing with very tiny, minuscule profits mm -hmm. for these dishes that you create. But this, I feel like this is a huge part of Toronto's culture, because we're so like multicultural we're so ethnic ethnically diverse and this is something that like i love 
about living in Toronto, living, well, yep. I don't live in Toronto, but living in Ontario, right? Yep. Living in Canada is yep. like, you can have Jamaican food or you can have Chinese food or Pakistani food or Italian food. Like you can have whatever you want. Here, exactly. But like real authentic mm-hmm. type of cuisine, right? And, yeah, and yeah. I love that. I feel like that's so important for like our culture as a country. And to see like these these businesses close because they have no other choice. Yeah. Right. Because imagine being a business where you're dealing with such tiny, small profit margins, but then you can only have a patio, or you can only have takeout, or you can only have this, or you can only have that. Like there's all these regulations, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. How are they supposed to survive? Exactly. Right? That's. It's tough, man. I don't know, dude. That's crazy. That's so hard. Yeah, but this menu looks this looks interesting. It's good food. Like I can tell you, give you a couple of recommendations. I don't even know what any of this stuff is. I'll uh, go down, or go up. Salata, salata dips, busy. Yeah, from there, uh, go down. Yeah, go down. Actually, go up one. Up a little bit more. Yeah, that one, the salata darna. That one. Salat salata darna. Yeah, it's like a salad basically <coughs> with like. Pickled onions, beetroots. Dive, cherry tomatoes, yep. pickled red onions, beetroots, orange slices, red apple, nabalsi cheese, yeah, it's like an orange date vinaigrette. I don't know, nabalsi cheese, it looks like a thicker version of Parmesan, but it's more creamier. Oh, that's interesting. It's a great, uh, it's a great uh, salad, but uh, the mains are pretty good too. I, I would right. The lamb chop is pretty good. Oh, dude, I used to hate lamb when I was a kid. Yeah? I did not like the taste of lamb. Their lamb chops. But it wasn't until later in life I, I started eating lamb. Oh, man, it's delicious. The lamb chops are good. Sorry for all the vegetarians. <laughs> if anyone's listening to this, I'm sorry. I'm not a good human. What else? I remember trying this one. It's like... Kofta uh, tahini. That's the one. That's like... Kof... Tahini. Yeah, it's like basically uh, sirloin beef cooked in like yogurt and tahini, which is like grounded, maybe like sesame, grounded sesame. Oh wow! It's very good. That's cooked in like fried onions. Yeah, it's delicious. Uh, and the dessert was like a thing called kanafe. It's basically unripened cheese, with like pistachios and like rose water. Oh, you're gonna kill me. It is so good. You're gonna kill me. Pistachios? Yeah. <laughs> Am I missing out? No, you're not. You can ask it for, I think, probably without pistachios because that's what they top it off with. But. Dude, it's, a, it's depressing having allergies. It is horrible. Like, this is part of the reason why, like, I'm very um, disciplined when it comes to my diet and nutrition. Yeah. But at the same time, like, I sort of don't believe in these sort of diets like keto um, keto, or carnivore yeah. or vegan or paleo. I don't believe in these food restrictive diets yeah. because I've had so many food allergies that have already restricted my food. Yeah. And this is not by choice. This mm-hmm. is something I had no choice over. Yeah. Right. So it's horrible. Like it's horrible not have not being able to try salmon. I'm not like being very, able to try you never try salmon. I've tried it, but I'm still allergic to it. Really? I get super itchy. I get a rash. Mm. I get hives. And it's the same with things like bread or wheat. You can't eat bread? Oh, no. If I have like too much oatmeal, 
or too much bread, I get all messed up. Oh, I get wow. all itchy, my skin goes all red. Oh, dude, it's just terrible. And what kind of, like, do you eat any sort of, like, bread or anything in the morning? Like, so basically what I do is I try not to eat any bread or wheat products when I have a choice. So if I'm at home and I'm making, say, lunch for myself, or my wife is making something for me for dinner, like, I try not to eat the bread yeah. products. But if I'm going out to someone's house, right? Say if I go to a family member's house and they have, you know, spaghetti and meatballs with like some bread or they have some type of product, bread product, then, you know, then I'll eat it. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's sort of like, you know, it's, it's not just a sign of respect, but it's like, you know, if you're going to cook a meal for me and it's not something that's going to kill me, I'll try my best, you know, yeah, yeah. be respectful. And I'll, of course, you know, I'll, I'll have it. I'll indulge in the meal that we're all having and kind of enjoy the situation. But when it's, comes to an environment that's completely under my control it's it's like no no nut products like no bread wheat or oat products try to avoid all these different type of things it ends up being like chicken breast rice and green vegetables it's so boring it's very simple it's so boring dude yeah but this is like something that's not my choice it's... this has been restricted from me and taken away from me at birth oh man right so when people say things like oh you need to try this like keto diet where you don't eat any carbohydrates i'm like dude i i want to eat blueberries or kiwis because i can't eat these other things right i'm so restricted this right and so like i want to be able to eat everything that i can eat so it's just like oh it's so hard it's so hard for me yeah yeah because you know like a lot of people can relate to this like i love food i mm. love i love the idea of food you know of just like Having a meal with a bunch of friends or family members that you love and just, you know, talking yeah. and having a good dinner with some good drinks. Like that's like, that's a huge part of life. It's so enjoyable, right? Of course, right? I agree. Even just this right now, like having a podcast. We're just like having talking shit. some wine and cheese. Right? Having great. wine, eating cheese and crackers is great. Simple, yeah. Right? Like I probably shouldn't eat those crackers. There's probably wheat in there or something, <laughs> right? Yeah. But whatever, you know. Yeah, yeah. Like you're here, so we're going to do it, right? Yeah, have fun, man. But you know what I mean? So yeah. it's it's like allergies is, is sucks. It sucks. Dude. No, I feel for you, man. It sucks. Do, do you have any allergies? Fortunately, no. I'm, oh, you're so lucky, I'm man. Fortunate. <laughs> I don't know. There might be something. So out, lucky. There might be something out there that I don't like, but uh, I haven't discovered that yet. But no, I've been pretty good so far. Thank yeah. God. You know what's weird though? No one in my family has allergies. It's just you. I'm an outlier. You're not. My parents, nothing. Really? My brother, nothing. Wow. I'm like, why do I get all this craziness? Like when I grew up, it was all nuts. Can't eat any nuts. Can't wow. eat any seafood. Oh can't eat God. any dairy. Like nothing. It was really bad. And it wasn't until I was like, I think it was 31 is when I ate my very first um, like fried egg. <clears throat> you know really? Like eggs like over easy. Yeah, yeah. Or like scrambled. Yeah. 31 years old. That's when you ate your first egg. First time. Yeah. Wow. I ate it and it tasted like sand because <laughs> my palate wasn't used to it. Yeah. And I was like, oh, you guys eat, eating these eggs this is disgusting. Like, what are you guys you eat eating? It's gross. Do you eat bacon? Bacon? Yeah. Um, sometimes. Okay. It's like, I know it's like not good for you, man. <laughs> like, it's fatty, it, but it it's delicious. <laughs> like, you can't deny that bacon tastes good. Oh, yeah. It is right? fast. But it's just like, I'm so health conscious. I try to like stray away from it. Try to stay away from 
the best I can. But yeah, bacon is like delicious, right? Oh, but like eating eggs for the first time was like, have you ever? Like, what is this? It's crazy. Have you ever tried like eggs Benedict, which is basically eggs like, uh, is uh, that when it's poached? Poached eggs, it's yeah. Poached, right? It's poached, and they put like hollandaise sauce on top. Sometimes it's served with like. Is it a yellow sauce? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You I see can, it on breakfast. I've places. had it maybe like once, I think. Yeah, what did you think? Did you like it? Uh, I was indifferent. You were indifferent. I didn't like it. I didn't hate it. It was just okay. It was okay. So you got to remember, like, imagine being living your life for 30 years and never eating eggs. Eggs. But then eating it. When you're 31. Like the allergy went away. Okay. And then I tried it, but because I'm not used to the taste, it just tasted off. Oh, it just man. didn't. It, like my tongue wasn't used to it. Yeah. But on top of that, I didn't know any of the terminology. Yeah. I didn't like scrambled over easy, sunny side up, poached, hard boiled. Like, like mom, I'm like, what? Like I've never tried any of those yeah, things. Yeah, yes. Like none of them. <laughs> right? So I'm like, what is this? Yeah. So I'm so confused in my mind. Where the, but then everyone loves these type of foods and I'm eating it and it tastes like shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? I, I, I feel and yeah. so I was like, oh. But it's funny because over time, my palate kind of got used to it, and eggs are delicious, right? Now you like them. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. And also, they're nutritious, too, They're right? nutritious, yeah, yeah. So, and it's like at work. I worked with someone um, where uh, she lived on a farm, mm-hmm. and she had, uh, uh, like, a, a chicken house or a coop. Yeah. But there was no rooster in the house. Mm. So, her chickens, they just laid eggs every day. Wow. But these were eggs that were not fertile. Yeah. Right? Because there's no roost, rooster or whatever. So they're just, they just kept laying eggs. So it's just basically food that's not going to turn into a living chicken. Yeah. Right? So I guess, you know, if if you're like, I guess like a vegan or someone that's, you know, animal rights activist, you know, that's, this is something that doesn't harm animals. They lay the chicken regardless because there's no rooster in the house. Yeah. Or at least that's how it was explained to me. And she just had all these eggs and would sell them to us at work. For like five bucks or four bucks. Really? Yeah. And they were like, um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, like free range? Free range. Yeah, free range. Yeah, yeah. Seen those. I, I would take it home and i crack an egg. And then like the yolk, it's like a, like a dark orange. Okay. And I was like, what the heck? Like, why does it look so different? Yeah. Because the eggs you buy in the grocery store, it's like a bright yellow. pale yellow. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, what the? It's like weird, right? It's yeah, like different. Um, okay. And That's I never, I never knew that because again, this is coming from a person that knows nothing about eggs. I have no understanding of any egg dishes or terminology whatsoever, right? And I'm like, what is this? And yeah. I started like researching stuff about like factory farm chickens and how the the yolk it just looks different, and it's just all this like terrible stuff of how chickens are treated. I'm just like, oh my god, this is terrible. <laughs> and I'm just like feeling so bad, right? Yeah. But then, you know, I, I started like getting into eating eggs, like regularly yeah and then as time went on i understood what everyone else was saying like it okay. just oh dude like the taste and sometimes when the yolk is cooked perfectly and it's sort of a little bit runny and it just adds all this flavor and it's oh it's just so good yeah, yeah, yeah. now it's just i love eggs it's yeah it's something just you can't so live without. <laughs> yeah it's just so good right i mean that's good i'm, I'm glad you discovered something new yeah and it's it's delicious i can't deny it it's a great thing to have for breakfast <laughs> for, for me, yeah you know for me it's uh 
I make scrambled eggs with like bacon jam, which is basically like bacon cooked in like sauteed onions. Uh, I put some brown sugar, a bit of maple syrup, coffee powder, and uh, coffee powder. What's that? Like instant coffee. Oh, like instant coffee. Yeah. Oh, really? And I use like uh, balsamic vinegar. Mm. It's so good. Bacon jam with scrambled eggs on like rye toast. It's to die for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. See, you're like a foodie. Like I like food. You're yeah. like a, see, this is something like I feel like all human beings can relate to. Like, like food, right? Yeah. It's such like a wonderful thing that we have like in the world, right? Oh, this is so good. That's the main reason why I went to Montreal last weekend and I will go to Europe next year. <laughs> oh, what parts of Europe do you want to go to? Um... I'm hoping to go to France and Denmark. I got tickets booked to France, uh, Paris already. So I got a couple friends in Paris, so I'm going to go stop there and visit yeah. them. Why Denmark? Uh, it's one of the happiest countries on the uh, happiness report, according to the UN, I believe. It's the oh. fourth most happiest country in the world. So uh, I'm very intrigued as to why they're happy. Mm-hmm. Well, I think they're content because they have a different system than we do. And I want to go see what it is that makes them very happy or, in other words, content. Yeah, yeah, that's you true. Know, so I'm really interested in visiting those places. Well, those Scandinavian countries, they got it like figured out, right? Like Sweden, Finland, Denmark, Norway, Norway, yeah. that whole area, right? Yeah, they, they have a pretty good system there. Like similar to like... France and Denmark, they both have like paid universities, like education's paid for basically. But it depends on the university you want to go to. There are some universities where you have to pay out of your pocket as well. In France also, like that being the case. But I know there they pay a pretty high tax bracket. In France? France and Denmark both. Oh, okay. They, they yeah. do pay a lot more, but at the same time, they get... You get more. You get more. You get a free education, you're set up for life, you know, like, well, I don't want to say set up for life, but, you know, you, you're not really lost, you know, people find themselves more easily than they do here, you know, mm-hmm. here, here it's a lot harder. I feel like that's a better system. Like, it is. If, if university was free, then you could go and try something, and if it doesn't work out for you, and you, like, end up dropping out, you don't have all this debt. Exactly. Right? So you don't get punished for making yeah. like a bad decision. Exactly. I feel like that's a better system than what we it have. Is. It is. Uh, I feel like it works more for them. That's why they're probably more content. Their healthcare system is good. Not saying that we don't have anything here, but like, I'm sure people could learn. <laughs> yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. I know in Quebec, from what I've heard with my friends over there, they've said they've had to wait in line for like, three or four hours just to see a doctor at certain instances. Oh, that's not good. Whereas here it's more immediate, you know. It's yeah. just like you can go see somebody. And it's harder to even find a family doctor there than it is here. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's things we could always learn from the Scandinavian countries, but I don't know. It's all a matter of the government wanting to learn, right? Yeah, I think it's also like countries always need to be willing to adapt and change yep like if, if there's something better out there you should pursue it exactly like you shouldn't be stuck in your ways like this is the canadian way or this is the american way of doing things and we this is this is how we do it so we're not going to change 
I think that's the big mistake. Exactly. Because when you're not willing to change, when you find a better way of doing something. Exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah. So like, uh, like people always talk about Canadian healthcare. Is it perfect? No. No. Of course not. Yeah. But if you fall off your bike and you break your leg and you need an ambulance, do you have to pay a thousand dollars for an ambulance? No. Not, not like the U.S. Not no. like the U.S. Right. Yeah. So unfortunate. So yeah. So case. it's it's something that you should be appreciative of. Yep. Right. But again, is it a perfect system? No, it's not. There's always going to be can, can Can we do better, right? Maybe we can learn something from the Nordic countries. Who knows, right? Like, yeah. I don't know. Or maybe we can even learn something about from the U.S. when it comes to, like, privatized healthcare. Because I've heard things like, when people have, like, major surgeries, they tend to go to the U.S. because they have, like, um, better specialists. And Canadians have better general healthcare. I, like, I don't know if that's true. But I've heard some people tell me that like they had really bad um, ACL tears or Achilles oh, tendon tears, and they always say like the best specialists are in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, I guess that makes sense because U.S. money talks, right? If you want the best doctor, you got to pay for it, so you're incentivized, so you end up getting the best, the cream of the crop, there, yeah. right? So kind of get it, but at the same time, you know, I hope the Canadian government is like constantly trying to evolve and, and, and improve and get better right yeah because dude we paid paid more than enough in taxes man <laughs> oh, yeah, I, could, I know for our paychecks definitely oh my god every week <laughs> it's crazy yeah i know it's, it's like it's, it's not cheap and this is why like especially if there's any like young people out there that's watching this like i i always preach to people that are younger to me to learn about like money to learn about yep, personal finance 100%. to be like responsible financially when it comes to you know your savings and how to spend money and how to save it like it's such a huge skill that you just don't get taught in school like in school you get taught how to add money and subtract subtract, debits and credits but you don't learn like how to invest or an rsp or a savings account or retirement account or an investment account or like an education fund yeah like no one teaches you these things right this is this is absent from high school education right and i think these are all things that are extremely important even like when you get a house or like a mortgage no one teaches you about property taxes or how much you have to pay or a land transfer your tax you have to pay when you switch homes like there's all these crazy things when it comes to money that you're not educated on in school that I think Mm -hmm. are extremely important. Right. Yeah. And like, I've learned all these things the hard way, Mm -hmm. all these things the hard way. No one told me, I didn't know. I I got to pay what? I have to pay how much? There's a, there's a what tax because I want to move. Oh my God. Are you serious? Yeah. Like craziness. Right. So (laughs) I don't know, man. So I don't know. It's like, uh, I don't know. It's like what Bourdain says about experiencing that happy accident or something there's a quote ah okay it's like you live your life and you learn you know you learn all these lessons yeah yeah i mean it it always takes an unhappy meal sorry it wasn't happy accident i'm trying to think what he said well basically saying like if you have an unhappy meal it'll lead to a happy one you know having these unhappy experiences Mm -hmm. so yeah, I think you live and you learn. I think sometimes learning the hard way is the best way because you really take take it with a grain of salt. And, yeah. You know. I feel like living learning the hard way is valuable because 
it forces you to adapt right away. Yeah. Because then you you'll learn firsthand not to make that mistake again in the future. Mm-hmm. You know, it's sort of like when you get ripped off or you get scammed. Yeah. It like it, it's deep in your mind and you remember that me- that memory so vividly like I'm never going to do that mistake again. Never. Right? Yeah. And you learn so quickly. Right. But at the same time, I think there's a lot of value in learning from other people's mistakes, too, as well. Right. Exactly. And this is why I sort of like talking about like my past and, you know, things that I've done in life and kind of like regrets of not going to school and the consequences that have paid for me later in life. Whereas like because I didn't go to school, because I didn't go to university, my options as a job in the workforce is you know driving a truck. That's what it is. Take it or leave it. Like that. Those are your options. I didn't finish, you know, a degree. I didn't finish a diploma or a college. So there's no other options for me to pursue. So this is what you got. Yeah. Take it or leave it. Right. So then I have to take it. Right. So this is why I end up in the place that I'm at right now. But at the same time, you need to realize like your past actions they determine your future, and you need to be aware that it's all on you. Right. All your past decisions that you make, all the past like fuck-ups you make and mistakes you make in life, it's all because of you. Yeah. And if you want a better life in the future, then you need to make you need to make better decisions now. All right. So again, like I know we always we always keep coming back to the subject of education, but I think it's like so important for anyone that's younger, you know, younger in the world that's listening to this. Because this is great, because this is coming from a perspective of two completely different people. Because we've ended up sort of like in the same place in life temporarily in this moment we're at the same spot but we took vastly different routes to get there yeah right but at the same time our potential for the future is also very different like i'm sure neither of us are going to remain drivers 20 years from now of course right like we're we're neither of us going to be doing this job that we're doing now in the near future exactly but at the same time our options in life are so much different, even though we kind of reach the same midpoint. Yeah. But then after this, there's going to be so much other different opportunities yeah. in our life, right? Which I'm excited for. Yeah, me too. That's what makes me look forward to waking up every single day and uh, just looking forward to a new challenge. And to kind of paraphrase what Nelson Mandela said, education is one of the most important tools that you can use to like change the world, you know? So... For me, I remember this very vividly. Someone at UFT said it to me. Uh, Education is not necessarily what you learn inside the classroom. It's what you learn outside. So it's based on like your daily interactions with people, just negotiating, just normal etiquette and forming relationships and bonds. Mm-hmm. For me, that is education. Like this right now is a kind of education because I'm learning from you about your life experiences and I'm opening up and sharing mine with you and all the YouTubers, whoever is watching. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we bounce ideas off each other and I learn from you and you learn from me. And it's like a net positive outcome. Exactly. Where both of us gain from this situation. Right? Exactly. Yeah. So. That's why I think podcasting is, is important, right? It's, it's a great way to acquire self-education yep right it's not something you need to pay for or subscribe to no it has a tuition fee or no. an entrance fee to get in it's just free yeah and exactly. it's out there right and you can learn like whatever you want exactly but yeah man it's it's been great so yeah well i think that was yeah. awesome dude let's yeah. um 
Let's end the podcast there. We killed it. It's yeah, almost man. five o'clock. Well, uh, thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, man. All right, dude, Clay, thanks, bro. Yeah, man. Thanks for everything. All right, Let's, bro. Let's uh, end the podcast there. All right, All right, guys. Thanks for watching. Peace. Peace, peace. peace. Yeah, dude, that was cool. Yeah. Five o'clock on the dot.